this podcast has a nasty habit of surviving. Because we are on episode 0013 of A Review to a Kill, which is a look back on the James Bond series presented by FanboysAnonymous.com. Excuse me, I have some traveling arrangements to make. Enjoy the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host as always, Tony Mango, and joining me is Robert E. Felice. Oh, God, uh, we all have a nasty habit of surviving, don't we? <laughs> and Callum Wiggins. It's on world, or a tiny two. <laughs> we are talking today about Octopussy, and it's the movie. That's what we're talking about, <laughs> in case you didn't know for sure. Come on, YouTube, don't get me on the copyright stuff. It's you not know. hentai of any kind. There no. are no octopus. Oh, there are. Well, well, okay, <laughs> the second part, no, <laughs> different story. <laughs> Before we get started, let me remind everyone that if you're enjoying this series, give us some of the usual stuff that you should be doing here. Hit us with the like button, share this on social media, subscribe to the channel, and follow everything if you haven't done that already on Facebook and Twitter. Ring that little notification bell as well, and help us grow by donating to the Patreon, where you could hit the join button on YouTube. It's the same thing, but the more support that we have, the more that we can bring you guys. So if you like what you're seeing here, you think that we're worth a dollar a month or more than take advantage of those different tiers. The dark casts on the smart count moment side of things, the bonus features on the fanboys side of things. There's the pick your poison tier where you can make sure that we do something in particular. So go ahead and do that, you know, um, show us some love and leave a comment below as well. Tweet at us, do anything you can to keep the discussion going tell us your thoughts on Octopussy and this series and our thoughts on these movies and everything else that's going along that kind of way. So, Octopussy. We're the thirteenth film here. We're on the second half of this uh, box set, and the title itself. We gotta just start there. <laughs> Octopussy. Now, this is coming from a story called Octopussy and the Living Daylights, where it's a group of short stories. But they decided, you know what? Let's go with it. And uh, on the commentary track, Roger Moore is talking about some of that sort of stuff. And he said that when he was doing the promotion for For Your Eyes Only, somebody was like, um, some woman, I, I think she was like a, a press um, junket kind of a thing, had said, you know, well, what's, uh, is there going to be another Bond film after this? And he's like, yeah, you know, at the end of each movie, it tells you that James Bond will return. And well, what's the next one called? And he was like, well, it's Octopussy. And she said, well, you can't be serious. And he said, well, what's wrong with pussy? <laughs> the name God, is God, just... <laughs> you can't take it seriously. No. <laughs> and some of the other titles are mostly, in other languages, just octopus. Because they're just like, we're not touching that one. We're just going to call it octopus. <laughs> But there's like Operation Octopus in Italy. Um, some of them get a little bit weirder though. Like, uh, well, there's 007 against Octopussy in Brazil. There's Octopussy 007 versus the Deadly Girls. That's the best. But uh, <laughs> my favorite one's Portugal. 007 Tentacle Operation. <laughs> that I mean, sounds again, this is not a hentai. Yeah, that sounds really messed up. That's like a horror show. They got a tentacle operation going on where Bond gets his arms replaced with tentacles and then the opening gun barrel is him with that. 
so, so in a little bit of reading that I did about the actual book Octopussy and Living Daylights, the short story of Octopussy, it is absolutely nothing like this movie. Yeah. So, <laughs> I've never read it, but I, yeah, it's definitely different. So obviously I don't want to go too far ahead and not spoil the movie and stuff like that, but the Octopussy in the book is an octopus called Octopussy. Yeah. Whereas in the film, it's a woman. Yeah. <laughs> and the main villain of Octopussy is only briefly alluded to in this movie, and he's already dead before this movie even happens. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing to take the entire plot of a story and say, all right, well, that already happened, and the character that's an octopus is a woman, and then now let's figure it all out and add some clowns and some stuff. Oh, my God. I just realized why I had the dream that I had last night. So <laughs> I had a dream last night that involved clowns, and I was like, I don't know why I would have had that. It's because of this. Okay. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> it was this whole thong thing about Ozark, the TV show, and there were this cl- this clown operation and whatever. And yeah, I don't know. So I, I woke up thinking, why did I dream about that? Now, I haven't watched Ozark for a while, but the clowns, that makes sense. So <laughs> uh, just uh, this real moment of clarity just popped in my brain right then. But Octopussy is the type of thing that, kind of like how the Quantum Solace, they take a conversation that Bond has at dinner, and they're like, well, we can build a movie around not that, and take the title for the most part, but they do incorporate some elements here and there, so that's good. Um, It just is a little odd, though, because just looking, I know it's only just a short story, so you can't just use all of it because of that reason, but it sounds fairly interesting. I just... It just feels like they just went before the movie even started and said, where haven't we filmed before? India? Let's go to India. And then they just thought, well, the film's set in Austria. Oh, okay. Let's not do that book then. Let's take the title. (laughs) Not not even like, it's not even anything resembling the movie. I mean, I know you said it takes certain elements. It takes one person's name and it takes the word octopusy and it has octopuses in the movie at some point. That's about it, really. Yeah. Like, instead of Nazi gold, you have Russian diamonds and jewellery instead. It's like, it's all, instead of Austria, like the cold mountains and stuff like that in Austria, we're in the blazing heat of India instead. It's completely the opposite. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like, is it flatbread or is it pizza? It's the same thing. Is it the sweltering heat of India or is it the cold mountaintops? Uh, You know, (laughs) give or take. (laughs) So some of the taglines. Have you thought about merging and just doing octopusy galore? Has that crossed your mind ever? That's where your brain just explodes because you can't handle it. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, in the end of the day, the octopusy is actually crossed. The, the this movie has more in common with another of the short stories in that collection, "The Property of a Lady," which is referenced in here too. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but, where, but that one is based around the idea of a Fabergé egg, essentially. But. But yeah, it just seems odd that, I mean, I know they've taken elements from it as well, but it just this has really no resemblance to the source material. And there's like, uh, there's a line in this movie where I think it's Khan says he likes eggs, which is obviously like a reference to the Fabergé egg. But also in the book, apparently Bond's favorite food is scrambled eggs, which is just kind of strange. So. <laughs> I thought his um, first his favorite meal was whatever he was drinking last night or something. <laughs> <laughs> Don Perignon, insert year, you know, sixty nine was the uh, last oh, one that we had heard. 
Yeah, it was just assume that um, that 007 is like Bender from Futurama, where he's only just fueled <laughs> by alcohol. Yeah. Blackjack and hookers. Yeah, I'm going to make my own uh, uh, octopusy Octopus. story with uh, Baccarat and hookers, in fact. <laughs> Hold the shaman defer. Taglines for this movie, we've got James Bond's all-time action high, which just sounds like a mouthful. I know that they're trying to go with the all-time high, and they're like, but it's action, and it's whatever. But they also just decided, you know what's good? Uh, Spy Who Loved Me. <laughs> so they started just saying, nobody does it better in a couple different varieties. My two favorites being, nobody does it better, dot, 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 13 times. <laughs> because it's the 13th film, and that's their idea of how they're going to market this. Nobody does it better 13 times. Kind of strange, but then there's also nobody does him better, which I just think is odd choice to go with there. But this isn't the movie with Wind and Kid. <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> now, before they started to do this movie, Roger Moore wasn't actually going to be James Bond. They realized that he had gotten too old, and they started to recast, and they pretty much had cast James Brolin, Josh Brolin's dad, so uh, Papa Thanos. He is so far along in the casting process that there's footage of him on location in a white kind of suit talking to, like, VJ and whatever. And then they decided, well, crap, Never Say Never Again is coming out. And they didn't want Connery's Bond to look like the real Bond in comparison to some new guy. So they're like, well, we got to bring Roger Moore back. So that's why Roger Moore has like longer hair in this one. Because they're like, maybe if you grow your hair out a little bit longer, you won't look as old. <laughs> you know, it's kind of... I've think never works. heard anybody use that logic ever. About longer hair is younger? Yeah. Oh, no, I've seen that a million times in movies. That's dumb. That's like one of the go-to ways to try to make it seem like somebody's younger is to give them longer hair. What do you think my hair goes down to my back? <laughs> I'm terrified of turning 30. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, it's okay. It's when you get past 30, that's the problem. <laughs> Once you do that crossover, then it becomes, oh, ow, wow, that hurt when I got up. <laughs> At what point do we lose the pulse but keep going? I, I don't think that that's going to apply to you guys. I think you're more normal. <laughs> Well, just uh, get an EKG. What's the obsession of having an American play Bond? I don't think that it's more of an obsession. I think that they really didn't care too much back then. And somebody like Cubby Broccoli, like, I mean, even when it comes to the main Bond girl in this one, Maude Adams returns basically because Cubby Broccoli had seen her recently and he was like, yeah, I don't like any of the people that were auditioning. Maude Adams is pretty. Let's bring her back. It's been a while. Just because, like, eh, you know, who fucking cares? Kind of a thing. So I think that they just kind of liked James Brolin. Because they were looking at some other people for this movie and some of the other ones. Uh, I don't remember if it was exactly this one or if it's The Living Daylights, but they were looking at Sam Neill, for instance. He is... He's Australian, right? I think he is. So they've, you know, they looked at Adam West in the past and Clint Eastwood and all across the board. I think that they just kind of are like, that guy's handsome. Go with him. You know? 
I guess. I mean, in the last movie, they meet the the Countess's husband, Pierce Brosnan, and they're like, you're a good-looking dude. You want to be Bond in the future? <laughs> you know? So I don't think that it really matters so much to them, at least back then. I think now at this point with the way that social media is and everything, I think that they're probably not even considering an American Bond ever. I guess we'll figure out after No Time to Die, whenever that comes out, like 16 years. Before I forget about it, the Michael G. Wilson cameo of this, he actually has two. He is a tourist on the riverboat, and he is a member of the Soviet Security Council. Just popping up all over the place. So let's get into the movie itself. Gun Barrel comes after the United Artists Presents thing, which they didn't do, and they don't really continue doing. I don't know why they bothered to put it on this one, but it's classic. It's solid musical arrangement. Nothing... Because they're already proud of this one. Yeah. This, well, this one's like top tier. I mean, this is Oscar caliber, right? Oh, yes. Imagine that. Best picture winner, Octopussy. <laughs> uh, our opening has a lot of elements going on. There's this Fidel Castro looking dude, a girl in a white dress working with Bond. Uh, we, we don't even hear her name in it, but it's Bianca. Bond is impersonating a member of the Cuban military named Toro. There's a horse competition or exhibit or whatever. There's a hangar with some tech in it that Bond wants to destroy. I like the little bit where he gets immediately discovered when he's trying to plant this bomb to blow it up. And the real guy walks over to him. And this is Bond's uh, like double, um, Roger Moore's. Um, I, I think he referred to him as like his his walking double in a bunch of movies and everything. So that's why they look a, a lot alike. And I like his response is just, well, oh, it's a small world. You're a tour too. <laughs> look at that. So Bond had trouble walking. No, Roger Moore had up. trouble oh, walking. Oh, 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 yeah, Roger Moore had trouble walking, so he needed a stunt double to do the walking for him. <laughs> I think it's uh, like a stand-in just to be like, yeah, we don't need that shot with Roger in it. Let's have him walk. You know, I don't know how that works. Um, Bianca pulls up uh, this car to these guards that are hauling Bond away, and she flirts. Would this work on you if you were one of those guards? Well, considering who I'm dealing with, no. In any other circumstance, maybe. <laughs> also, we live in a world where we have very liberal access to pornography and stuff like that. So we're probably just like our mind goes up at it. Whereas these are supposed to be, I guess, I guess Cuban uh, in a communist regime and stuff like that. So I guess they have less access to that stuff. So maybe they're more distracted by it. What's running through these guys' brains? Is it just kind of like a woman <laughs> from uh, Moonraker? Well, yeah, pretty much. Is the idea of like, oh my God, how far is she going to lift that dress up and stuff like that? <laughs> So it's not the woman that gets me. It's that, that they fall for Bond. Being like, huh? Yeah, uh, look, uh, you look at her. Uh, yeah. Look, women. Kind huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, look at the pretty lady. Look at the pretty lady. <laughs> right. It's a good enough oh, distraction yeah. that it works. Bond's able to pull the parachutes and escape. And this was terrible. That was so bad. Come on. I don't mind the parachute thing. What I do mind is the fake horse ass that turns into a friggin' little airplane. <laughs> the horse has just there as a disguise for the 
a giant air flying that comes through, just there to to demonstrate it's a horse box. It's just the plane comes from behind it. I think that's so dumb. At least it's a plane. I'm still upset about the one from the the uh like you only live twice one, which just like offers no protection whatsoever. At least this was a proper plane. Yeah, the little Nelly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they didn't give this a different name like that. Because they had Little Nelly and then Little, um, or Wet Nelly. They could have called this something else. I don't know. Horse it's, Nelly. This, again, this, well, this is a recurring theme throughout this movie and pretty much throughout the entire Moore series. The terrible green screen behind him yeah. whenever there's anything going on. And this, it's really, really over the top in this movie. There's also a shot in this when he's flying around, dodging this missile and whatever, that when he goes into the hangar, you can see the pole that's pulling it along because <laughs> they, the way that they filmed it is they've got the mini airplane thing. This jet is on this white pole that they're just pulling along at the bottom of like a, like on like a little cart kind of thing. And the shot is quick enough that you might not notice it unless you're looking for it. But if you're looking for it, you could just see this pole going around the whole thing. And it really, you know, in modern days, they would have the CGI that they would just CGI that thing out, but they didn't have that back then. So it looks like somebody's just pulling along something, which looks funny. But I don't mind this intro. I like it quite a bit, actually, because it's, not. it's an interesting enough concept that Bond is flying a little jet and he takes this missile through a ride it back into the thing that he has to get it to blow up on paper. It's all over the place and it makes no sense and it has nothing to do with the movie in the slightest bit. But you know what? Mission accomplished. It's, you know, it gets people talking. It apparently got a big laugh with the, uh, when Bond's out of the fuel and he pulls up to the gas station and says, fill it up. They were going to cut that and the director went to see another movie and they showed a trailer for Octopussy with that line in there. And apparently people just like erupted in laughter. And he's like, all right, well, I guess I'm keeping that in. I don't think it's all that funny. <laughs> it's not the funniest thing. You know, I, I laugh at some other things that are I laugh more at the uh, da -hoo, da -hoo, da -hoo, guy from You Only Live Twice than I do with that. But I don't know. It's a thing. No, I like I liked it for the most part. I mean, outside of the green screen shots and stuff along those lines, I thought the actual shots of the plane flying were pretty action packed. The missile firing after you and having to chase it through, them going through the hangar, the giant explosion, that explosion is huge behind it. It's just obviously I know it's some way doctored because I don't think they would have just blown up an entire huge hangar yeah. base like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's a, it's a miniature. Yeah, but it look it looks good. And I think that you you end it with that line, the filler up please, which is a nice little succinct comedy line at the end of it. Not all of this is comedy based. It's not. Yeah. So it's definitely an improvement on the previous intro. Um, I guess. So when I said I didn't, I thought we were getting into the actual like theme song part of it. The. No, not yet. Op the opening scene itself. It was fine. I will spoil something for the end and say I have since moved Diamonds Are Forever up a couple slots because <laughs> look, at the time I said oh, this isn't a Bond film, this is too campy. Okay, it gets worse. Like, it gets more campy, so I've since moved that up and watching this movie was part of the reason. 
They mentioned the music. Before we get into the main theme, I'll say I really like the music in the intro. I uh, There's a couple songs in this movie, score-wise, that I'm a big, big fan of. This one's got a track that I forget what the name is. It's probably something like, uh, you know, Cuban Air Base or something. But it's this... Uh, this kind of like military march a little bit. It's like pa 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 da 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 kind of thing. I really like that. I really like the action theme that pops up later on. We'll get into that. But big big fan of the score for this film. That's getting a major thumbs up when it comes to that. But the main theme, I will say, all time high. They couldn't make a song with Octopussy because <laughs> how would you do that? You don't know that. I like this song a lot but i can't rank it high for a bond theme it's the lowest of the main bond themes for me because it's it doesn't feel like a bond theme not a fan not a fan of the uh song not a fan of the graphics i just was like are we at dalton yet (laughs) (laughs) and i know we're not because i'll have a completely different thing to say next week but this one I did not like. So I I don't mind the song. And honestly, I've, I'm kind of, after listening to this, I'm kind of over the idea of a quote-unquote Bond theme. As in, like, it has to have certain aspects to it. I thought this had the elements you needed to if you are going to go for that talk thing. It's got nice guitar riff it's got saxophone playing nice piano tune behind it as well my big issue is that it doesn't have the word octopusy in it at all mm-hmm. but then again you're not going to put the word octopusy in a song at any point in time it's an octopus so the song doesn't fit in that regards but i don't think the the actual tune or anything along those lines is really too far off what i'd expect from uh, let's put it this way a roger moore bond movie because roger moore's genre is more of the the love based tunes and stuff like that um i'm not a huge fan of rita coolidge's voice so that was a bigger black mark for me on the song itself and yeah just um and the visuals aren't super great yeah. I think they're they're a bit like you know they're a bit dull i would, I would say it's most visually explicit yeah, there's so far. maybe the most blatant nudity so far in the series because this woman's boobs are just out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just like all of those ones in particular. Yeah, so it's more explicit, but then again, it's not particularly memorable because it's just all silhouetted. Yeah. And the only thing that's really visually stimulating is some of the silhouettes and the um, the light up 007 that's shooting out of the gun. But even then, it's not that it's not that impressive. But then again, am I? Am I putting, pushing a standard of what we're going to see in future movies where you have more room for digital effects and stuff like that? Yeah, this- I, I you got to grade on a curve a little bit, but at the same time, it's funny when you see something like this where you go, oh, they just came across this laser pointer and they thought it was the coolest thing in the world because they've got the, the little laser pointer 007 logo, the laser pointer octopus. And that's the main gimmick for this one is you've got like the little octopuses going over the silhouettes of the the naked people and you know there's silhouettes of naked people floating around the screen there's uh these dancers swinging swimming around and i do like the part of the silhouette of roger moore that gets wrapped up by the extra arms like eh, you know it's octopus related 
but it's not one of my favorites. <laughs> and the song itself, I kind of treat as like later on, we're going to get into a thing where the movies are going to be having a love theme as well as the main theme. It's going to apply. I think, better. I think so too. Uh, the Living Daylights has three songs in it. They've got one the main. Of them is fucking tremendous, but we'll get to that. Yeah, the main theme, The Living Daylights. Then they've got the song that plays when the main henchman, Necros, is doing some stuff. And then they've got the love theme. Uh, License to Kill has the main you know, bah, bah, James Bond theme. And then you've got the uh, If You Asked Me To, which is the love theme. And that carries over with Pam Bouvier and Lupe Lamora and everything. Same thing with Goldeneye. You got the experience of love. Tomorrow Never Dies has two themes. One of them's not really a love theme, but World's Not Enough even. Only Myself to Blame. Fantastic song. And when it comes to a song like All Time High, I kind of tend to think this would have worked better as like the love theme, and maybe we could have gotten another theme too. But I like the song, you know. On its own, I'm a fan of the song. I, like, it's it's fine. It's not getting ranked high. I don't have as much to say. Whereas, like, for example, if in if the next time you hear us, Calvin hates the song, or we're going to fight. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, that's, that's definitely not going to happen. I'll yeah. Like, like, Beautiful Kill is so good. Um, yeah, I'm just ready for that. Yeah. So let's uh, move on to the uh, post-credit sequence. We uh, start tracking a clown. Not the one in my dreams, but uh, <laughs> this <laughs> this one's running from a guy with a knife. And the clown can actually fight. He gets a knife in, uh, uh, in the back, but he manages to limp along. And he goes to the residence of the British ambassador who is hosting a fancy gathering, and bam, the clown busts through the glass door, <laughs> drops a Fabergé egg, and dies. It's a hell of an intro to be like, what the fuck is going on? So I don't know if I've seen anything in this entire series so far that's more bizarre than a cr- clown being chased through woods. Yeah. Just like him just stalking through it. It's like, it's like the reverse of it has gone wrong. The clown <laughs> is now being the hunted. And yeah, just like, with no context of what's going on, it's just absolutely bizarre. Because you assume, because it's in East Germany, what's being taken place, seemingly, that this is just a guy trying to escape to West Germany. Yeah. That's the historical context that my mind was filled with. And then he gets taken out by what's suppo- these twin knife throwers. Mishka and Grishka. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to like believe it's just what one. Mm. And then we, he turns around and then he's right next to another one. I just assumed that one of them had teleported to the other. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually twins. Twins. Yeah, and twins. Yeah. And um, yeah, just gets hit with a knife in the back and goes into the water. I just felt that was a little bit... Because again, you have no context for it. And so it just feels anticlimactic. Like, okay, they just killed a guy trying to flee the country. And then it's just sort of this (laughs) this whole thing with the British ambassador. And it's the when he busts through the door, it's great because it's just this horrific. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very much Kool-Aid, man, because these people are not expecting a clown, period. They're not expecting anybody to bust through the, the window and the door. 
and he drops a Fabergé egg and dies. <laughs> so it's like, that's something that, you know, the decades and decades in the future, they're going to be like, I still don't know what the hell went on that night. What happened with this party? You know? I like it. Yeah, this is weird. And I, <laughs> at this point, I'm thinking, is it a thing? Did they see it? And just go, let's do that. For the record, I have no idea why there's so much circus-related stuff in this movie. I, I, I don't like it. Well, I'm going to go on a rant about circus at some point, I'm sure. But later on, we find out that this is actually 009. <laughs> so this is the first time we really actually see another 00 agent. Because in the past, we've seen the McGatherings, like the in Thunderball, they're all gathering around the table, but no attention's brought to them. And Bond brings up 008 and Goldfinger. He mentions, you know, I'll just get replaced with 008. Uh, we know 002 was killed by the man with the golden gun. We know that his name is Bill Fairbanks, but we never saw him. Now we finally get to see a 00 uh, other than 007 in action. I like 009. We have no idea what his name is or what he looks like without clown makeup or whatever. But I'm like, you know, 009's kind of badass. He stole the uh, Fabergé egg. He took a knife in the arm and then another knife in the back. And he ended up being able to figure out a way to pass the Fabergé egg along. Good job. I know what his name is. Was it Bozo? I know what his name is. The drink? No, it'd be a Bozo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, crusty. Yeah. Fair enough. Crunchy the clown. Crusty now. <laughs> so Bond's at MI6. He enters Money Penny's office, and we see her figure from behind, and she's surprisingly smaller and younger looking, and whatever. And Bond's like, I must say, you're become more beautiful every day. But it's not Money Penny. <laughs> it's her new assistant, Penelope Smallbone. Oh. <laughs> Now, that name sounds ridiculous, but oddly, they didn't make it up. No. That's the name of the model that's used in the opening credits of The Spy Who Loved Me. And they were like, that's an interesting name. Can we use that? Where do they find these people? She went by some other name. I think it was like Perry something or whatever. And they found out her real name was Penelope Smallbone. And we're like, they were like, that's too good for us not to use. So they created this character just to make that joke about this woman's name. That's it. It's very you, Tony. That makes sense. <laughs> I was going to say this. She doesn't, she's not involved in this movie pretty much at all. And neither no. is Money Penny, really, besides this, this entire segment. Uh, Bond goes, he tries to play it off. He's like, oh, I'm just saying that she's as attractive and she's like, as I used to be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's never been and there never will be anyone but you. <laughs> I like that Bond hands Money Penny a flower and he gives all the rest to Penelope. <laughs> so Money Penny says, "Take it. That's all you'll ever get from him." And she's like, oh, "Thank you, Commander Bond." And he's, oh, "You know me." And Money Penny says, uh, "No." She says, um, "Miss Money Penny described you," and she says, "In nauseating detail." I'd love to hear what that conversation is. I love the Money Penny Bond dynamic. This was even good. if they this are was, old. Yeah, this was a better version that we've seen in more recent movies. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more back and forth in this one. I like it. And uh, <laughs> that quick, because Bond is Bond, Penelope's completely smitten with him. So when he goes into the office, she's just like, 
<laughs> you thought BB was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I bet 30 years ago he looked pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Insert joke about small bone. I don't know. He's into gills. Uh, <laughs> when Bond walks into M's office, there's the defense minister that we've seen in the past couple movies, uh, Sir Frederick Gray. There's an art expert named Jim Fanning. And M. A new M. That's not M. But maybe not. So here's what I was talking about before. As we mentioned, Bernard Lee had passed away during the pre-production of Free Your Eyes Only, so no M in the last movie. And M now is being played by the same actor who played Admiral Hargraves in The Spy Who Loved Me. And it's never stated if this is supposed to be the same M with a different actor, like with the recasting of Bond and Q, because remember Q was Major Boothroyd in Dr. No, which is the same character as Q. It's just that they... From Russia with Love, they were like, no, let's get a new person, and then they'd stick with Q for the rest of them. So this may still be Miles Messervy, but people can make the argument that it's actually Admiral Hargraves getting promoted to becoming Bond after the previous one stepped down or retired or passed away or whatever. What did I say? He's in Bond. Ah, yeah. Because he's been older than Morris, I assume. (laughs) He probably was the same age and more at this point. What do you guys think about this new M? Or same M, but with a new actor, whatever it might be. So, so yeah. he's not—he's never explicitly referred to as M in the movie, I believe. Bond just calls him Sir. Uh, maybe. I mean, he is no, M. He, though. He's definitely M because he's in the credits. He's yeah. As M. And he's going to so, be M for the next three movies. Um, he's got very little personality. Based on this first one that I saw, he seems like he's trying to do the M character, but he doesn't have the. I, I'd prefer if he went his own way with M. Robin trying to play this the M character that we've known beforehand. Yeah. He just doesn't have the same charisma or charm to him. How do you feel, Rob? Yeah, I'm definitely not feeling this. A lot you're gonna hear that a lot from me in this podcast. <laughs> uh, a lot of this didn't hit with me and he's just not M. And obviously we can't get the old M back, but it's going to take a while before I adjust to a new M. I like him as M. I don't like him as much in this one because he is really bland in this one. There's no, like, uh, his lines are pretty basic and everything. He doesn't go into any kind of crazy amount of differences when it comes to the other movies, but I like him better in the Dalton ones for sure. And he's nowhere near as good as Bernard Lee. To me, Judy Dench is definitely the best M. And uh, this is my fourth favorite M or my third. It's going to all kind of depend on this next movie that comes out. But I do like him. It's just that Bernard Lee was better. And that's a shame. But I think that they could have cast a lot worse. I think that they potentially could have cast better, but I like him as M. And I think it would have been a little bit better if he wouldn't have been Admiral Hargraves, but it's interesting that you can kind of mess around with the lore a little bit. So that's, you know, thumbs up for me overall. So the Fabergé egg is a fake and the real one is up for auction. This is not normally something that Bond would be (laughs) looking into doing, but uh, 009 was killed. So that's a different story now. You know, we got to look into it. And the only real lead is that uh, illusion from the books of the property of a lady. So, of course, Bond's like, mm, all right, well, I'm going to do this now. <laughs> a woman. 
A woman, a lady, a, a property. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Russians. The Russian meeting, I think, is so good. We see General Gogol again. You know, fucking great. Love General Gogol. He's on this board with uh, this this group of these hardcore, angry-looking Russian guys, and he is totally into this idea of this NATO nuclear disarmament plan. It's a sign of good faith. It's not going to harm their national defense system. They're fine. Nuclear weapons are awful. Let's kind of, you know, usher us into a new era. But then you got General Orlov, played by Stephen, Bur- Stephen Burkoff. He thinks Gogol is presumptuous and that he speaks for himself and others who cling to timid, outdated, and unrealistic policies. <laughs> The way he delivers dialogue in this movie is so fucking all over the place. I love it so much. He yells random ass words. Mm. Yeah, it was annoying. Yeah, he he pissed me off so much. It's so bad. I love it. (laughs) I mean, this is a guy who graduated top of his class in overacting school. (laughs) It's just... Like this guy reminds me of the th- the two Blofelds from the previous, like the, the two bad Blofelds, let's say, and it's just so over the top. It's so loud. It's so obnoxious. Like I'm just looking at this guy and I'm just thinking, like, why do we still have him on staff? Essentially, it's just like with the other guys in the in the committee. It's like, why do we let this guy get in here? It's like, okay, <laughs> dude, calm down. Like. <laughs> I just love how the way that every line he says, for the most part, is as if somebody said, just crank it up to like 12, but only in certain parts. It's kind of like if William Shatner decided that he was going to do something like this. It's it's every line is great. Like the timid one. The line itself is not a bad line. General Gogol is presumptuous. He speaks for himself and others who cling to timid, outdated and unrealistic policies. Any normal actor would have delivered that with, like, he speaks for himself and others who cling to timid, outdated, and unrealistic policies. And he just goes, timid? (laughs) It's like, what? The line, must I remind you the committee of our overwhelming superiority over NATO forces before we give it away, is like a three-minute long line, the way that he delivers this. (laughs) But it gets even better, because then he's like, let me show you my map. and. The way that he shows off this map, he, uh, under my direct command, I have 31 divisions, uh, th- these divisions and that divisions and all this. It's always like tank divisions in Czechoslovakia. And on the Russian Western border, more divisions and more tank divisions. He loves saying divisions. And he loves saying Czechoslovakia, <laughs> the way that he does that. I love it so much because it's so fucking dumb. <laughs> They could. They didn't do any other takes and just go, yo, Steve. Like, ease up on the coke a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess he's like Russia's Hitler. Is that what we're supposed to believe at the end of this, really? Kind of, I guess, yeah. Because he's the guy who everyone else is saying, okay, we're going to, like, settle with what we have. We're going to stay defensive. We're going to make sure the nuclear weapons can't be available or anything like that. Let's conquer all of Europe. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no! With just 10 of their divisions, because NATO's forces are so weak, apparently, they could walk through Europe in five days. 
which I think was probably Hitler's argument as well, <laughs> until yeah. we realised, oh, yeah, they're actually going to put up a fight. And the other guys are like, Google's like saying, yeah, they're probably going to put up a fight and they're probably going to shoot nukes at us. And he's saying like, well, they won't do that because they're... Trying to disarm. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah, essentially he's just saying like, they are pussies yeah. in, more, in, more, in more extensive vocabulary. <laughs> Octopussies. <laughs> Look, I, God, I don't understand why you like this. Like, I like a healthy dose of dumb, okay? But no... It goes past the limit to me to where it comes back around to being like, this is so bad that it's good because it's just no reasonable. Uh, I, I I don't know why they would have had him do these lines and be like, okay, that's it. Like, I would have taken that if I was a director, I would have been like, all right, well, you know how there's usually that rule of like, well, give one to the actor, then you do the real thing, like let them experiment. I'd be like, all right, well, that was your experimentation thing, Steven. Now let's do the real thing, because <laughs> this is terrible. But I love it. I also really like the line that the one general says, where he says that so world socialism will be achieved peacefully. <laughs> I just think that's funny. Uh, we go to the auction, and Fanning says that the Fabergé egg shouldn't get more than 300,000 pounds. Anything more than that would be crazy. So what does Bond do? Well, naturally, when somebody named Kamal Khan bids 320000 Bond goes 425000 <laughs> He keeps bumping the price up to see if Khan desperately wants it. And Khan keeps bidding, so you know, he understands that he needs to buy it for a particular reason. He wants to know why. And Bond actually does this sleight of hand thing that actually works this time. Unlike previous times in the series, like the Beretta, where M is just sort of like, yeah, yeah leave the Beretta. I saw that. Where the knife and Dr. No, where Dr. No is like, mm, put the knife back. Saw that too. He manages to swap the fake and the real Fabergé egg. Well, let's just say this Bond has had a lot of time to practice. I mean, he is 55, I think, when he's recording us. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I mean, the only reason that he spots the guy in the first place is because a blonde woman walks in. Yeah. A woman. And immediately catches attention. Uh, there are quite a few ladies, he said. Yeah. His magic penis managed to pick out the one that was he needed to see. It just goes, huh? It's like a metal detector. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like this thing, though. I yeah. like the scene of him uh, um, bidding the guy up and stuff like that and just watching the guy sweat about this. Oh, I thought you were coming around to the magic penis. So I was like, oh, well. <laughs> Somebody's coming around to it. <laughs> no, I like the whole Sotheby's thing because Bond is just being a dick. But he's also doing his job. And Fanning's just like, oh my god, what would we have done if you would have actually been stuck with it? And he's just like, no, no, he needed to buy it. But of course, M is like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, you know, once Bond explains it, he's cool with it, but he's just like, what the fuck were you thinking? Like, we were going to end up spending $500,000 on this thing. We didn't need that. But Bond, you know... He makes a good enough case, and M's just sort of like, yeah, by the way, leave the Fabergé egg. That's ours now, you know, <laughs> since you stole the real one. And I like it. Thumbs up on my end. I don't think that many uh, Bond films should have scenes where they're auctioning, but it works. Not as good as uh, Fur, but <laughs> Yeah. Well, we get some other stuff a little bit later on. No Fur, but we get some more dick measuring contest type of stuff. 
Let's head off to India. Bond over here is a snake charmer playing the James Bond theme. Do you think he just natural like like a dog, like his ears perk up when he heard that? <laughs> just like so, is Bond just like is it is an orchestra following him when he does this thing? So he knows what yeah. it is. <laughs> It, like it, I, I just assumed he was just playing that music in his head while the stuff was going on. Like this is like <laughs> just in the, just in the car, whatever. Just going da 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 really boring me in in HQ, and that's just like him just playing it in his head. It's like, yeah, because remember how like the 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 track used to be used for when he was just going through the hotel room. Mm. Imagine Bond sitting there and like he's just checking, you know, oh, well, is there anything behind this painting? And in his mind, he's like, horns blaring at the top of his lungs. It's like a kid in like who thinks that he's in a spy movie or something like that, who's just going around the room going, da, 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 da. Yeah. Like we don't see scenes of Bond like waiting in line to get his ticket for like an airline or something, but he's sitting there just sort of. Tommen do himself. You see, more and more, I got the theory that like he's just a nerd. He's just like he's a loser. It's like yeah, I'm cool. I beat some. I sleep with women. So I don't know why this is supposed to be like the contact is doing this song and what it. You're not supposed to think of it. Let's be honest. It's just supposed to be like God Bond theme. And his contact in the area is VJ. Uh, the actor playing VJ is not an actor, and his name is VJ. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> he's the tennis. Spare no expense on these films. Right. You know, the, we've had some instances in the past where, like, uh, Kareen Dufour in the last movie or in uh, Moonraker was supposed to be like I don't know, like Ashley Simpson or something, and. They ended up just going with this French actress, and her name was Kareen, so they're like, oh, you could be Kareen, too. This is VJ. He's a tennis star at the time. And they were like, yeah, well, VJ. People know VJ. Let's just call him VJ, and that's it. And that's why they have the line in there where he says that he got a part-time gig as a pro at Kamala's Club, and Bond says, well, did you learn anything? And he goes, no, my backhand's improved. (laughs) So he was a uh, tennis player that appeared at a uh, Wimbledon tournament, and that's where he met Roger Moore. And so that's clearly yeah. how he kind of led him towards getting the part. And I assume he's like one of those things of the, um, I guess, what you would, I guess what you would call the, um, the issue that we talked about in the Bond in the first movie, where he's getting his name mixed up constantly, like saying his own name rather than James Bond name. And so they just thought, I just call him VJ because he's not actually an actor, so he might not respond to yeah. if we gave him a fake name. Well, he's actually the character wasn't even going to exist. The other guy was. It was only supposed to be one contact. Because there's the other dude that drives the little cart. That was going to be the thing. And then they were just sort of like, oh, VJ seems cool. Let's make him a thing. So that's why the other dude's like section chief or something. And he doesn't do a damn thing. <laughs> I like it's VJ, though. Yeah. Well, he does a few things in the next sequence. We'll start. And instead yeah. of the Shaman Defer, or the Kareem Defer, we get Backgammon. Not as good. Not as good. <laughs> that that is this film. Not as good. Khan's <laughs> <laughs> uh, using some loaded dice to scam this dude, who's a complete fucking idiot. This dolt does not understand. Uh, how can I keep losing every time? It's what because he's fucking cheating, dude. That's why. 
if every time you get to the point where he needs to get double sixes, he gets double sixes every time. What a fucking idiot can you be, you know? But Bond takes over that dude's spot. He wagers the Fabergé egg for his hand, and he brings up this rule that doesn't exist called player's privilege. It's not a thing. I've never played backgammon before, but I looked it up. It's not a thing. But it works in this context of the movie because he uses the quote-unquote lucky dice that Kamal has. And I do like that Bond doesn't even look at it when he uh, rolls the dice and just goes, double sixes, fancy that. 200,000 rupees. Oh, I prefer cash. What an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that as well. Just yeah. staring at him while the, the dice guy in there. I want them to stop playing like Yahtzee or something. Uh, eventually they're going to have Uno and it's just going to be like Bond's going to pull out the card that's the reverse card and be like, ah, that's how Bond got him in Casino Royale. Yeah. <laughs> you could, you imagine the amount of, could you imagine the amount of tension if it was Kaplunk? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't break the ice. One of those kind of things. That game uh, where you pop a balloon, you press the things into a balloon until it pops. Or there's, uh, you know, we get to like Daniel Craig era, and he's just playing Monopoly, uh, and it's half the fun. film because those Monopoly games go on for fucking ever, and they're doing it on their phones. <laughs> Next Bond is gonna play Jenga. <laughs> great game of tension. So Kamal's heavy for this movie is. Gobinda. And he pulls an odd job here where instead of crushing the golf ball, he crushes the dice in his hands. Again, not as good. But he's immediately ready to kill Bond. <laughs> he's got this blunderbuss gun and it's just like, spend the money quickly because you're going to be dead in like a minute and a half when you leave this club. <laughs> Again, you're planning on just shooting the dude outside of the club? Haven't you learned anything from the way that people acted and you only left twice where they were going to kill him outside of the uh, office building. Live Probably not the place die, to do it. Tony. Live and let die. Okay, I need to ask something because it's something that I haven't actually thought about until the till I'm just thinking about it now. So they leave the club and they're going on a drive afterwards. Like VJ drives Bond away and they're trapped tra- by the guy. It's broad daylight. Yes. Yeah. They were doing, they were playing Baccarat in the like it just feels like weird to me that, that there's like a casino type scene and they're doing that in the middle of the afternoon. The backgammon thing? Yeah. Just seems time odd to me. That... Time has no meaning. Meaning has no time. <laughs> it's just like every single casino scene we've ever seen Bond in really has been in the evening. Yeah. It just seems odd that he comes out and it's immediately broad daylight. That's right, India. <laughs> I guess I don't know. No, he's like one of those... Uh... Chronic gamblers, really, that just... It's the middle of the day. I'm gonna go play slots. Yeah. <laughs> Get that, uh... That brunch special at the buffet kind of thing. I like that VJ says, this is a company car, because, you know, Universal Exports, so we know what that means, and... They do this thing. I'm not big on the car chase. It's okay. But it's just a series of wacky things. It's... They jump over a camel, there's a sword swallower, a fire breather, all the stereotypes. A guy walking on a bed of coals. There's another dude with a bed of nails. Bond throws a goon on the guy and he says, get off my bed. I don't like it. No, it's a bit too hokey, this one. Like the guy uh, um, 
like VJ swinging his tennis racket at the guy as well, driving yeah. him and stuff like that. Uh, Bond getting stabbed in the chest, but he's been protected by the amount of money that he's got throwing. So I'm going to spoil something here because a lot of this is going to depend on you guys. Sometimes we have conversations and it changes my opinion. And I'll go higher or lower. This might be the one that pushes up Dr. No. I, <laughs> I really wasn't a fan here. For the most part, I enjoy this movie. It's just when you start actually like saying whether or not it's good, then it's a different story. <laughs> but I can I mean, watch I this a lot easier than like a Dr. No. I had like a negative perception going into it because I'd seen it before, but I'd seen it when I was considerably younger. So I didn't really understand too much the nuance of it and stuff like that. And so maybe it's just the perspective of the fact of going into it, expecting it to be terrible. And then it actually being above my expectations has helped me with that regard. I still think it's great, but I wouldn't put it below some of the worst movies in my own list. Yeah. It's around the mid range for me. We'll get to that when we get to our but rankings each, later. Each their own. There is a lot to dislike about this movie. Yeah, there is. There certainly is. And, the, and this chase is one of those things. And that ends with uh, a whole sequence where they go through this secret door that covers itself back up and it goes into a cube branch scene. You know the rhythm of this at this point of the series. Time for some more wacky gadgets. You this rope that rises out of its coil but bends over. So Bond asks Q if he has problems keeping it up. <laughs> Which I, I think that that's kind of funny. Uh, Smithers is back. Uh, Smithers is back with this trap door that rams spikes onto a dummy. I don't know why you would have a door that has spikes like that. That would be the trap because everybody would be like, look at this door with all these spikes. If the spikes would have popped out, maybe a different story, but. I just wonder where it's used. Because someone has to like install that door in a place somewhere. Where nobody would want to actually open it accidentally yeah exactly yeah and it only seems to swing one way sure, yep. you, you should you'd have spikes on both sides just to be safe <laughs> and they put a homing device in um the faberge egg that also has a microphone that can be tracked and listened to with a uh, bond seco brand watch which gets a nice close-up and the top of this fountain pen that also has acid in it and bond has a pretty good line here i think where he says oh it's wonderful for poison pen letters Q's just like, what the fuck off? <laughs> it's gonna... uh, Bond's also shown the latest of the liquid crystal TVs. Feels dated, huh? Yeah. And like a teenager, he takes the camera and he zooms in on this chick's cleavage and he just leaves it at that angle for the rest of the scene. <laughs> so like the background, there's just... Like James Bond, Tony. Both. <laughs> I love that he just leaves it there and the woman doesn't care. She's just like, yeah, I just put my boobs on screen. You know. But he's doing yeah. the zoom in and zoom out, like, ooh, ooh kind of thing. It's just so, I presume she's like is she a scientist or is she a A woman? But <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean like she has no problem with him just staring down her chest with a camera and stuff like that. I would have thought she'd be somewhat offended by it. Surely, James Bond, the story of James Bond penis is like the legend of John Henry's hammer. It's been everywhere. <laughs> and people are just like, okay. I mean, if you haven't fucked Bond and you're a good-looking woman in MI6, it's probably because he hasn't gotten around to fucking you. And you're somebody like Goodnight, who is like, oh my god, when are we gonna fuck? <laughs> 
kind of a thing. Yeah. Or money penny. But uh, or uh, if you take it into that regard, Money Penny explains who Bond is in nauseating detail to Penelope Smallbone. She's probably going around the office being like, I heard he's got a big dick, <laughs> kind of a thing, you know. At this point, anybody who's in there is just sort of like, Oh, this is Bond, huh? Okay. I went to his house once. Get a girl from Italy in the closet. Right. And they had this coffee machine. That's that's all it did. Yeah. But- <laughs> That's not all he did. <laughs> uh, I love the Q scenes. They're they're silly and they're stupid, but Q's great. And I love their interactions. Bond meets up with the girl that he saw at Sotheby's and at the hotel. Her name is Magda. And she's in the movie for, I think, more scenes than Octopussy, actually. I, I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. They fuck because yeah, it's a Bond film and she's attractive, so why not? She probably heard after the stories he, from Money Penny too. After she takes his photo, yeah, it's kind of weird. Woman to take his photo. Does uh, she need it for a scrapbook? He's. I like that when they're having this little um, dinner. That he he's like, oh, send it to this room along with the bill for the champagne. I'm assuming <laughs> just sort of like guess I'm paying for that too. Oh, you're taking the picture because I'm probably gonna get killed, right? You know that kind of thing. But when they're in bed, Bond notices this tattoo of an octopus and asks what that is. And she says, that's my little octopusy. Yeah, she said the name of the movie. <laughs> but it's on her back. Yeah. It's her little <laughs> octopusy. Sure. Yeah, but there's, I think there's like a place you could put that. I mean, I know, I don't know how sensitive that area is for tattoos and stuff like that. But no, no, just... no. You, there, there's nothing craft here. That's just what she calls it. It's her little octopusy. Like a... You know, some people call dogs puppies. That's a little octopusy. That's, that's all it is. Okay, so I have two things about this entire scene. First, well, in the entire scene and that entire sequence. First of all, Magda. She, I know how I said how all of graduated from the school of overacting. Uh, Magda's graduated from the school of eyebrow acting. <laughs> <laughs> Her eyes are going all over the place. It's just like just raising it, moving up and down, one eyebrow up, one eyebrow down. It's like she she's very she has a lot of expression in her face. Let's put it that way. And then the second thing was when they they go to um start making out again before the camera cuts away, it looks like it's two people <laughs> who have gone to completely different generations of kissing acts. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up. Cuz she goes in as like this I guess this new age like because you can see her tongue and stuff like that, and she's got mm-hmm. her mouth open and stuff like that. So she's going more of the 1980s thriller style, more visceral, sexual side of it. Whereas Moore is going from the uh, the very more, I guess, antiquated uh, kiss on screen thing, which is like really big, but you're just basically just smushing faces together. <laughs> and it's like get caught in the middle a little bit, and it's awkward. Mm-hmm. She <laughs> looks like she's trying like... to like vacuum out his face. <laughs> Yeah, and, she, and they keep, she keeps her eyes open, and that's weird as well. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like she's going, "Oh God, if I have to like," she's probably on like the twentieth take while that scene is being taken. It's like fucking hell, I've got to kiss this senior citizen over and over. Sad <laughs> though. I'm not going to yeah. deny that. <laughs> Just the guy that she's kissing isn't. <laughs> and she's pretty much the femme fatale of the film, even though she stops being a villain at the end, but. She fills that role for the most part. I guess it's not really. It's not really a femme fatale in this movie. I'd say same as the last one. She's the closest thing to a femme fatale. I mean, she's no Fiona, 
but you know, she's the hot working for the villain, you know, seduces Bond to get something out of him kind of a thing. So she basically fills that part. She steals the Fabergé egg and Bond lets her. Yeah. But she steals it in flamboyant fashion by flipping off the balcony with her flowy gown. And I like that. Because later on we find out that they're all like trapeze artists and shit. That's a it's a good little way of doing that. I've got so much to say about that when we get to <laughs> Yeah, we got a lot to talk about with that. But but yeah, I I liked I liked her exit. It was very flamboyant. And I I like Magda overall. Yeah, she's good. Like she yeah. gets involved towards the end of it as well. She's clearly able to do stuff as well. So yeah, she's good. Capable, definitely attractive. Thumbs up. And then we return to that classic Bond trope of Bond sees her go away with Khan with the egg and stuff. And then he immediately turns around. He's been hit in the back by a henchman and <laughs> laid out. Knocked out for probably a week, but no brain damage. You know, oh, cool. not until they get to the curare. But uh, she's not the main woman, Magda. We soon enough meet. Well, we don't really meet. Octopussy, but we hear her voice. We don't see her, and Octopussy tells Khan not to kill Bond. She has a reaction immediately when he says James Bond. So we know that there's like some reason why, but we don't know yet. And this octopus that we see that she's feeding, which pops up later on in the movie, and they do the whole bit with it. The director, John Glenn, uh, on the commentary, he says that a friend of his, uh, his son, was like, Can we go see the new James Bond film? So he takes his son. And when the octopus breaks out of the tank later on, the kid covered his eyes. And then when they left the movie theater, he said, can we go see it again? Because I want to see the octopus. So he went, took him back another time and the kid did it again. And then on the third time he held the kid's hands down and was like, we're not seeing this for a fourth time. (laughs) Kind of a thing. (laughs) Just kind of like, I'm sick and tired of taking you to the movies. I'm not going to spend any more money on octopus. And and then, What a bad movie to see a couple times over. (laughs) Now, I don't know how many times I've seen Octopussy over the years. Uh, I mean, I watched it uh, three times this week, just because each time I watch it with the commentaries, too. I know I watched it a couple months ago, and I know I've seen it a couple times before that. I've probably seen the movie about ten times. And, uh, yeah, you don't need to watch it three times in movie theater, you know? Of course, at the time, though, people are just like, he said, fill it up. Oh, my God. It's the most amazing thing in the world. That's capital. Yeah. Bond is summoned for dinner with Kamal. Some souffle that apparently can't wait, but they only eat like two spoonfuls of and then they move on. What a waste. Yeah, I mean, continuity. I mean, we complained about stuff in the uh, movies about it being too, too long in places. And then you just like, say, OK, just eat quickly. Move on. Well, then they move. Head. Yeah, they move on to the sheep's Who head. Who goes from a souffle to a sheep's head? Yeah. I've never had sheep's head before. I never will. But that seems so weird to go from something that's like this light and airy souffle that you eat two spoonfuls of. And then you go, sheep's head's the next course. That's, that's like, at that signal of him eating the eye of the sheep. Yeah. That immediately bumped him up many places on the main villain. <laughs> <laughs> I would try it. I am into a lot of, like, you give me a snake, I'll try it. You give me a, I've eaten wild boar, uh, I've eaten crocodile, or alligator, not crocodile. Same thing. No wonder he's disappeared from the group. You ate him. <laughs> but an eyeball, I'm not planning on ever eating an eyeball. I would try it. This was made Wait out of marzipan, is how they did it. Well, 
Well, yeah, yeah. Well, she was like, because like I just saw him eating it. I just thought, yeah, eyeballs probably don't get eaten that way. It's like you don't just take a small bite of it and it just like I assume you bite into it and it pretty much bursts. Mm-hmm. It's gotta. Yeah, I mean, I I don't remember. I know you know Bear Grylls. Yeah. At one point, I had seen a thing where he had found a sheep that had died, and he mm-hmm. took out the eyeballs and he cooked it in a little geyser, and he ate that. <laughs> well, he is. I, I'd say like he is clearly like an excellent survivalist, and he does all of this other stuff. I just feel like someone didn't love him enough as a child. Yeah, if he's just like, <laughs> now I gotta drink my piss, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> like, bear, come inside. Come on, yeah. <laughs> bear, you're out front. We've got we've got running water here. Yeah. We don't need. <laughs> He's just hanging out in his backyard, being like, "I, I don't know what to do. I guess I gotta go pee on a rag and put it on my head." <laughs> we got flannel. We got some ice. Calm down. It's not that hot outside. Yeah. We live in Britain for Christ's sake. The temperature doesn't go over like twenty degrees. Come on. <laughs> well, if I decide to have sheep's head at my wedding, then you guys are gonna have to eat an eyeball. That's what we'll do. Um. Bond's able to escape, though. He uses the acid from the pen to break the bars to his room, and he walks along the side of the building. And we get another pigeon jump scare, because John Glenn fucking loves doing that in his movies. <laughs> Just like, wouldn't it be funny if that pigeon pops up again? It'd be great if there's like some hidden continuity where it's the same pigeon from For Your Eyes Only. And I'm pretty sure that there's a pigeon jump scare in uh, Vita Kill, too, which is like, there's that same dude that has the reaction shot from Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker and For Your Eyes Only with the line. What if it's like the same pigeon and <laughs> it's just popping up and just kind of like, fuck you, Bond. Well, I assume it wasn't the pigeon from a couple of films ago because that no. one's probably still stuck to the beam. Right. <laughs> it's the one that they glued in the moon raker. Uh, the pigeon's a double, uh, double O agent. Double O pigeon. This is a crossover with uh, Spies in Disguise. <laughs> that animated film with Will Smith. <laughs> no, is that a double O seven? He's got to see it at the start of it, so it's Coo 7. <laughs> <laughs> Agent Double O Pigeon uh, is something that we should definitely track in the future. So we also see that Orlov is talking to Khan and Gobinda, and Magda doesn't care that Bond snuck out. You know, uh, she just lets him do this, whatever. But she unknowingly fucks things up because she has her hair dry or mess up the radio signal, which you know back in the day that used to be a thing. I'm sure. Lady drivers. That's exactly what I was <laughs> I kind of love the fact that when Bond's making his escape, he has to stop for a few seconds to watch Magda undress. Yeah. What the fuck for yesterday? <laughs> yeah, that was yesterday, Calm. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, how he says he's had dinner, but this is his dessert. And that's why I love me. He didn't eat his um, stuffed sheep head, so. He needs dessert. The gist of the plot basically is that Khan is going to supply a bomb to Orlov in exchange for the real jewelry that they are swapping with forgeries. Although Orlov breaks the real Fabergé egg, <laughs> and Khan's just like, "Ugh, fuck!" But he notices that there is a bug inside, so he knows that something's up. Not my favorite plot in the world. Yeah. Mm. So. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not, it's like, I mean, it could be more bizarre, but. Yeah. More to come, I guess, in terms of the reveal. I do say I like it better than For Your Eyes Only in some ways. Like, it's silly, but it's not. And it's, eh, we'll get around to that. 
before we get talking about it, it's silly, but it's not. Let's talk about elephants. <laughs> yep. I'm not a fan of this. Bond gets away by pretending to to be a corpse, and he scares the guards with the whole kind of thing. You know. Yeah, that that, that bit got got me a little bit <laughs> hot, heated because that was felt like just it was just white. Oh, just spook! I'm a spooky ghost. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that. No, I also need to talk about this again because it's just weird. It was dark when Bond escaped. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's broad daylight again. It's just, it's not even like it's just the morning or whatever. It's really, really just like daylight out there. It's like the afternoon. Yeah, at most, he would have been going into the bedroom at like midnight. But I highly doubt it because they were eating dinner. And this isn't even like dawn. This is full blown. It's got to be at least like 10 in the morning. So maybe it took him hours to take those bars off. I don't know. And you just realized, oh my god, my pen has acid in it. I could just escape for it. Yeah. yeah. But even so, it's just too... The, the clock's going way too quickly in this one. And they start hunting Bond like he's the most dangerous game. And there's this dumb stuff where he like runs into a giant spider web. And there's a tiger that he goes, sit to. Yeah. Which is apparently a reference to Barbara Woodhouse, this dog trainer at the time that used to say sit like that, and they thought that that was funny, that he would be saying that to a tiger. Well, they must have thought that would never age. Yeah. Where you have to look up and go, why the fuck does he say that? Barbara Woodhouse? Who's Barbara Woodhouse? And then you look up footage and she she, uh, she does not look like one, (laughs) I'll tell you that. Uh, she's just this like old cranky dog trainer, probably a terrible person. Looks like the type of person that would be like running a, um, like a school where it would be like, oh god, she's the the headmistress and she's terrible, kind of a thing. This is not the last time in the series that Bond yells "sit" because <laughs> Daniel Craig does it in one of the movies. Oh, he does it much better. He yells it at an actual person, which is better than this gag. Nobody does it better. 13 times. That's right. There's snakes and leeches, and unfortunately, the absolute worst part of this entire film, and one of the absolute worst parts in the entire franchise, when Bond swings and does a Tarzan yell. <laughs> oh, that was just, that That's was your so bad. Tony? No, that was oh. awful. That is, that is legitimately awful. I mean, I didn't like the Spy Who Loved Me gags with the, the car in the... Um, the van in the desert with the whole like music kind of thing I didn't like the Lawrence of Arabia use of that music but that's tolerable compared to Bond doing a Tarzan yell that's just bad well it took a bit of a um an element from a previous uh Connery movie I can't remember which one exactly I think it might have been for your eyes only but I'm not certain but it's a bit where they Essentially, uh, Connery's stunt double falls behind a box of crates, and then Connery walks out in the same shot. That's the only other twice. Oh, they, the only other twice. Okay, but they uh they do that in um this one as well, where he's essentially um uh more lands or well whoever was swinging through the trees lands in a bunch of water, and then more crawls out of the crawls out from under the reeds. I think it was pretty uh, obvious the swap happened in this one. So those reeds weren't offering that much protection. Yeah. <laughs> and then he has to burn a leech off his skin. Oh, we've got about the um the snake crawling over and telling him to hiss off. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I do like 
I do like the one little bit though when he manages to get on this this boat and somebody asks, "Are you with our group?" and he goes, "No, ma'am, I'm with the economy tour." <laughs> I like that. It's not worth the whole scene, but I like that a bit. Just love the economy tour is him just he just had just to run among yeah. the animals. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, you didn't pay for the one that has the boat. You got to run through the shit. You got to go through the fucking leeches and the alligators and everything. I think that the scene would be so much better if you just got rid of it. (laughs) You know, Bond just escapes. Don't need this at all. Yeah, I I don't like the uh, Khan line at the end of it. It was saying that he's a rare breed and he will soon become extinct. It's a little too on the nose. This Craven movie? (laughs) (laughs) James Bond, James Bond does whatever James Bond can. Doesn't work the same. Then again, that's why he's got his own theme playing in his brain. So he's crawling through and he's uh, trying to get to the boat and in his mind he's like da 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 Or actually he's doing the songs from the music so he's like da 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 And we also get to see one of the stupidest Q branch gadgets a personal submarine disguised as an alligator. Oh we need to talk about before that. Well, we need to talk about before that where Bond gets told about the island of exclusively beautiful women. I'm surprised he wasn't like out the door before they yeah. finished that sentence. <laughs> An island. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it says he'll have to visit there sometime. And that time is now as an alligator. I hate it so much. This is the stupidest gadget. Out of all the dumb things that they've had about like I mean, they had it in Goldfinger. We had the fake duck or whatever it was on top of his head, but I'll buy that more than this thing. No, well, at least this is practical. It's it's it, but the other thing was just him having a duck on his head. It's like I I, I feel like this one, yes, it is bizarre and it is too over the top. But as an actual piece, a gadget, it's more useful than a duck on your head. Well, what if somebody says duck? <laughs> <It's useful. Yes. laughs> no, this is uh, it may go down as my least favorite gadget. I don't remember for sure if there's any other ones coming up in the future that I dislike more. Yeah, it was, it's silly, but I, I think that's what these movies are now. Yeah, thank God they switch it around a little bit because, yeah, like you're right. You keep saying that you're waiting for the Dalton ones. Once we get to Dalton, they're much more serious. Every single one after that, you know. He demanded that, and I appreciate yeah. him for it. So Bond sneaks onto Octopussy's floating palace filled with beautiful women. Giggity. And uh, Octopussy is finally shown. It's uh, Maud Adams, who was Andrea Anders in The Man with the Golden Gun. She's now 37 years old instead of 29, I think is what she was in the other one. Yeah. And um, much like how Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man, the second Spider-Man thing for this, is Otto Octavius. We don't get to know what her name is in this movie, but they ha- she has a, uh, a canon name, which is Octavia Charlotte Smythe. Because, of course, she's Octavia. Yeah. Yeah. And she's the daughter of Major Dexter Smythe, who Bond exposed as a traitor. And she, instead of wanting to kill him, she's thankful because Bond gave him enough chance to kill himself instead of getting court-martialed. Yeah, so he could have an honorable death. 
I think it's honestly a very, very interesting story. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Like, I think it's, um, well, yeah, that's what, what I was saying earlier. Like, I kind of would be more interested in actually seeing that story, the actual octopus he played out rather than this one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, it would have been nice to see a bit more exposure of that. Exposure of octopus. <laughs> <laughs> I like that angle of the main Bond girl is somebody whose parent was like that kind of a relationship where like, of course you're going to think like, Hey, you were the guy that caught my father and he ended up killing himself. That's going to be a problem. And instead for her to be like, no, I'm actually like thankful and I wanted to thank you and I don't want this guy to kill you and all that. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we go back to the like the casting side of it now because were they well from what i read about it previously on like wikipedia and stuff like that they were trying to cast south asian actresses right to start with and they settled on a swedish woman <laughs> as one does <laughs> who doesn't look indian at all in the slightest not so Again, okay, this is a movie that couldn't exist in the in the Twitter era. No. <laughs> I mean, they don't say that she is that kind of background to try to play it off. Like, it's weird when Scarlett Johansson is the only, like, a white woman inside of Japan for Ghost in the Shell kind of a thing. Right. But redoing the character to fit that... I mean, look, I like Maud Adams, and I think that she's great, but I think that it would have been better if they would have had somebody else play the part. Yeah, probably. But like you say, it's like the advantage with somebody with Maud Adams, and again, she's not like super old or anything on those lines, but having a slightly older main Bond girl makes it a bit more realistic that she'd be interested in Bond. Yeah, because even though she's 37, which 37 is not old at all, 37 back then, it's weird. 37 used to be a lot older. You know, just the way that people age these days. You look at somebody who's like, you know, 50 now, and sometimes you're like, all right, are they like 25? And she looks considerably older. She doesn't look old by any means. She's still beautiful and everything, but she looks like she can match up with Bond as opposed to like Christina Wayborn, who plays Magda. You're like, all right, well, that's a big difference. I don't know what the age difference is between them, but after the previous film with Molina and BB, it's a welcome change of pace to get somebody who's on the older side of things. Yeah. She's still like 20 years younger than he is, but I'm just checking the age difference now between um, Magda and Moore's Bond. Uh, 23 years. So she's not that much younger. She looks a lot younger then. Mm. What, uh, what year was she born? Because Maud Adams was 45. Okay, so she's five years younger. Okay. Okay. Not a huge difference then. But, um, yeah, I guess. And then there's also that thing as well, again, which is a, it's an awful double standard and stuff like that, but Mm -hmm. women in Hollywood age a lot older than men do in the eyes of producers, let's put it that way. Yeah, it's generally speaking, you can get a lot more traction out of a guy being a leading man than a woman being a leading woman. Usually by the time that they reach, like, mid 30s they're out of that kind of range 
when yeah, they're in forty something, they're playing somebody's grandmother, kind of. And it's like, come on. Yeah, exactly. It's like you see one wrinkle, and then you're just typecast away from certain roles. Yeah, that's a shame. It shouldn't be the case, and things are changing over the course of these oh, most yeah. recent years. You know, it is getting better, but it's been a it's been a slow climb. Yeah, <laughs> very very slow. We're only now at the point where people can be like in their forties and the action star woman kind of a thing. But people are learning, you know. So Kamal Khan enters the room and we see two of Octopussy's guards, Gwendolyn and Midge, that are wearing these red spandex leotards with a white circle in the middle of their chest. They look like fucking Thing 1 and Thing 2 from Dr. Seuss. It's an absolutely ridiculous outfit. Yep. I am not a fan of Gwendolyn and Midge. (laughs) Well, they're circus performers. Still, it's, it's bad. Why have the... It's literally the, the Dr. Seuss thing. They just need the blue hair. No, it's the Dr. No thing. <laughs> That's uh, Dr. No's first name. Seuss. <laughs> Dr. Seuss No. Yeah. Like, I'm thing one and I'm thing two. One will do me first and then I'll do you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's actually weird about that too? In the credits, Mishka and Grishka are not labeled Mishka and Grishka. They're twin one and twin two. There you go. They gave him character names. Why? Like, uh, I don't know. But Gwendolyn and Midge, they're not going to be on our list of Bond girls. <laughs> I do like this scene where Octopussy is like, you lost Bond? Well, you suck. Hey, guess who I have right here? <laughs> and uh, Bond, uh, Khan says the line from the intro about Bond having a nasty habit of surviving. And Bond says, well, you know what they say about the fittest. Ha. <laughs> Got him. Go, James. Another note, the way that Khan says octopusy in this movie is great. I love that he says it super fast. He's like, octopusy? And he sounds like so unintimidating. Unintimidating, I should say. That's the word. Khan is not a guy that I feel like, oh man, you don't cross Khan. But he's just like, octopusy, can I please kill him? Okay, I guess I won't. You know, that kind of a thing. I'm just wondering, because... Like, he talks to those um, goon, hired goons later on about trying to get Bond killed. But he says the girl has to survive. And I'm kind of feeling like, I, mean, I guess there is some context as to why she has to, but I don't see why it's so absolutely vital that she stays alive for this part. Because he's going to want to kill her eventually. Yeah. Like, surely you can just change things around, say she died in her sleep or something like that, and just continue with other people instead. I guess it's just easier to keep her running the ship with the circus and everything. I guess so. But, um, but yeah. She tells Khan to fuck off, you know. (laughs) It's just kind of like, leave Bond alone, you know. Kind of a weird dynamic. um, Yeah, but I kind of like Khan has the superiority complex that you like in, in Bond villains. He still thinks he's better than everyone. Yeah. He's not a bad villain. He's just one of the ones that I'm not super duper high on. No, he's in the middle range for me, probably. But Bond wants to kill... Uh, Khan wants to kill Bond anyway. And he pays off some local thugs to kill him with this dastardly tool of theirs, which is a fucking buzzsaw yo-yo. Do you guys think that these guys know any tricks, like, around the world, or the cradle, or walk I'd the dog? Ter- I'd be fucking terrified. 
to use one of those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those things, like you, the, the old yo-yos where you have like the brain where it would like sleep and come back to you. <laughs> I, I generally like, where did they get that technology? Again, I don't want to stereotype too much or anything like that. But I mean, just, they're not even wearing pants. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're just goons yeah. that have been hired for something and they've been given a lot of money to try and do this. And then this guy walks in with this rotating metal buzzsaw <laughs> thing. Look, evil is a necessity. Pants are not. <laughs> yeah, they got like messed up teeth. They're not wearing they pants. A or something. <laughs> evil is a necessity. <laughs> I'll get that on a t-shirt and that means I can walk around without pants on it it seems like that yeah. <laughs> well I'm evil aren't I <laughs> and Q's out there doing some field work of VJ they're fishing having a good old time checking up on Bond while he's at the palace I'm a big fan of Q getting to do more we get to see him have some more field work in another film down the line License to Kill and I think he's even better in that one. I love Q. He's such an endearing character. Agreed. Yeah, he's the best. What do you guys think about the kiss scene? <laughs> I, I don't. I kind of didn't get the context of it. Yeah, I don't like it. It's, it's poor writing. Yeah, so basically Octopussy wants Bond to stay while she leaves to go to Europe for this thing that's going to be happening, which we'll obviously talk about as the plot progresses. But Bond says that he doesn't want to stay and he might not be here when she gets back. And she basically seems like she wants to hire him or keep him around as essentially like, I don't know, her live-in fuck buddy or something like that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Basically, she, she wants to hire him to live on this island of beautiful women for the rest of his life. And Bond like, puts his penis to one side and says, no, I'm not, I, work, I work for, you can't buy me out. I'm not a gun to hire. And she gets really angry about this. Like basically saying like, he feels like, she, he's looking down on her for what she does and he's like so chivalrous and wants to do things for queen and country and whatever and so she storms out and Bond just decides okay now penis engaged yeah. in. <laughs> and yeah just starts making out of her and she resists initially and then she falls for the charm of the penis yeah because he followed the, it's weird the way that they film this is strange because he follows her into the bedroom and forces her into a kiss because she says no, mind you. And then yeah. says, he's just like, yeah, you're right. We are two of a kind. And she immediately melts. But there's this weird atmosphere about it. Fundamentally, I don't like it because, I mean, he's forcing himself on somebody to an extent rather than like naturally charming his way into her pants or something. But the way that they shoot it and the fact that she is a little closer to his age and everything, there's part of me that kind of thinks you know what? If this was like Moore's swan song, I could see people thinking that he could stay with Octopussy for the long haul. Maybe. Yeah, I, I've kind of felt that towards the end. Like, okay, Bond retires on an island just full of yeah. beautiful women, and then another guy takes over. Well, not another guy, but another Bond takes over from that point. That kind of feels like the fitting end for Roger Moore. But, and of course he fucks it all up by doing another one, but you know. But no, it's just the idea of Oh, I'm trying to, remember, trying to remember what my point was of it, but it's just, it's kind of the opposite of what we've seen in the most recent movies where they've given the leading woman a decent amount of screen time. They've had a chance to build up. Obviously, it, it could be done better in those other examples, but they've tried to build up a rapport with mm. Bond and the eventual leading Bond girl throughout the course of a movie. And this one, like, we, we met her essentially two scenes ago. 
and then they're just fucking right and it just it feels like a, a really big regression over the course of the spy who loved me he gets to know uh anya and then he gets to know dr holly goodhead and he gets to know melina of course he already knows mary from the man with the golden gun but with this one it's just like well you wanted to bang so how about it kind of a thing i'm not a big fan of it yeah i could do without the well she said no but then immediately retracted so we're good and we find out that the yo-yo guys do know a couple tricks they don't know walk the dog but they know kill the vj because he gets killed with the buzzsaw yo-yo poor vj it's a good gadget again terrifying but good well, he doesn't get killed immediately, does he? No, because uh, Q says he was alive when I saw him, and he said that Khan's men did it. Um, there's an attack on the palace. I love the music in this, too. The action theme is great. And Bond eventually fakes his death by falling in the water with the crocodiles, but he's got the submarine gator, so he's cool. You know, he's one of the, one of the bros. They're not going to go after that. There's this like sad reaction thing where Octopussy thinks that Bond is dead and they play the like the sad version of the main theme, which is it doesn't go off all that well, I think. It's a little melodramatic. It's like all I wanted was a sweet distraction, but Bond is dead. Kind of thing. Yeah. It kind of strikes me as that that um I'm trying to remember what um TV show it was, but oh it was Scrubs. And there's always the sad version of the scrubs. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, Bond's not dead. That would have been a terrible way to end the franchise, too. If he would have just like crashed into the water there, then it's just Bond. James Bond will not return. (laughs) And he comes back in the rest of the movie. The alligator plays Bond instead. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It just has a bunch of sea leader alligator type quips. (laughs) So Mishka snap. Mishka and Grishka are tossing some knives as part of the circus act, and Magda is the ringmaster. I hate the circus. It is a little like why? It's not why does it, a great why does it have setting. to be set in a circus? Yeah, why does it have to be set in a circus? I just mean the general. I hate the circus. Oh, oh you're just talking about oh, yeah, literal. I yeah, think it's I hate, the dumbest thing in the world. I don't like a single aspect of it. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like, nothing is good about the circus. Sorry for anybody who's a big fan of it. It's loud and it's colorful and devoid of any substance, where it makes me think that it's kind of like when you jiggle keys in front of a baby to amuse them. That's, that's, that's an analogy I've never heard before. But, I think uh, that's, uh, but it. it's fair. Yeah, they can go along with it. Like that's what the circus is. It's just da 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 and then people dance around, and then people go and start clapping. They're like, ah, they're doing the dance now. Like it's it's oh god, I hate it. I hate everything about it. My my biggest issue with the circus is I don't know who finds clowns endearing. Yeah, because I don't know a single things. person who likes clowns. They 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 terrifying people with like the face makeup, and they're all in your face, and they're always trying to get into your personal space or doing anything like that and you're supposed to like cheer and clap for them and go wild about them just like they're the saddest most desperate for attention fuckers that you could ever see <laughs> they're obnoxious fuck the circus man that's obnoxious it's there's a reason terrible why, there's a, yeah there's a reason why it is such like a really good like horror visual and stuff like that because clowns are fucking creepy yeah <laughs> 
I'm not like a cholerophobic or anything, but I just I'm like if I saw a clown, I wouldn't be like, oh, I gotta run across the street, but I'd be like, fuck off. I, I God, you're be, annoying. I, no, I used to be terrified of them as a kid because just because of the yeah. time maker. When I ever went to the circus as a kid, I'd just I'd I occasionally burst out crying because just the clowns <laughs> were there and stuff like that. And then uh, as I got older, that fear was replaced by pity. Sad clowns. <laughs> yeah, it's just like like what happened to you to make you this way? <laughs> like why did you why did you think this was the career path for you? At some point they had to be endearing. And then like everybody just realized that oh, it's a little creepy. I think it's only because back in the day you could get away with like anything because people had nothing so people would be like you know a little kid in like colonial times would be like i've got my wooden horse toy and that's the best thing in the world they carved a a horse out of wood and this is fucking great like that's the thing i'm going to keep for like you know eight years and it's my most prized possession so when you get somebody that's dressed up like a clown and they've got like oh look at these goofy choose and i got a big nose and honk honk and blah 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 people are just sort of like well it's it's loud that's good uh, what am i gonna do uh, i'm gonna go back to my uh, place that doesn't have running water and just kind of be miserable <laughs> you know kind of the circus it's better than misery yeah it's it practically is misery it's just terrible nobody should ever the circus should be a thing yeah, that should be the tagline. Circus, it's better than staring at a blank wall. I'll take the blank wall. No, I would take the blank wall. Well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you guys see um, Daredevil, the Netflix series? A bit yes. of pieces, yeah. Where uh, Wilson Fisk, Kingpin, has this uh, piece of art that he's really into, and it's just a blank white thing, but it reminds him of the wall that he used to stare at instead of um, like when his dad was beating him or something. <laughs> he's just like, give me the blank wall. I, I don't want to pay attention to the <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing with the circus awful no, it's one of those things in um what was it uh the batman and robin movie yeah like you see all the people die and just be like yeah i kind of okay with it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah get over it he, he got listen him killing them got you out of the circus you should be thanking him <laughs> for killing your family <laughs> harvey i'm batman i'm batman <laughs> Different movie to talk about on another day, Batman Forever. That's a good movie. We see the trade-off with the jewelry and the bomb. The full plot is even more explained. It's Orlov wants a bomb to go off at a U.S. base, and people will assume that it went off accidentally and that everybody will be disarmed except for Russia, who will just stomp over everyone and be the main nuclear power because, you know, they've got their tank divisions in Czechoslovakia, and they'll just, you know... <laughs> beat the shit out of all those timid people <laughs> in an ideal world i think that this is a decent enough plot and it could work well in a movie that doesn't involve a stupid circus and the sillier elements because a guy that's like a like a hitler type dude who wants to set up people for a nuclear disarmament and then take over yeah that's cool i mean it's not cool it's but you know what i mean like cold war shit yeah even though like i guess that was with us and bond isn't one of us. He's English. So I don't know. It's cool with Felix, though. That's Even though true. Felix hasn't popped up in like five movies. Oh, he's dealing with the Cold War. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he's up to. We had to make room for Sheriff J.W. Pepper. Thank God he doesn't come back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank God. 
And there's a car chase with the tires being taken out. Bond's able to use that car on the train tracks because of it. Nothing really stands out to me, but it's interesting. Does that actually work? I highly doubt it. No, I've seen um, I've seen those like episodes of Top Gear in the past where they made their trains out of cars, but they had they put they made a configured car where they pulled a train track alongside of it. But I think it needs to be specially modified to actually work. I would assume so, yeah. Car on but then again, it's like a Russian consulate car, it's like it's not even that fast. When they're like, when you have like those little train track things for like mines, you have those mm. little carts. They've just got like little wheels on them, so maybe it would work. Actually, I don't know. I know. I think it'd work in theory. I just don't think he'd be able to move that fast. Yeah, probably not. Let's put it this way: he would not be able to keep up with an actual train, even no. a train in the nineteen eighties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not even like it's this is uh, one of the Q branch type of cars. This is just some woman's car that he steals. So it's well, not a company car. That was, the, that, was the, that was a Russian consulate car that he stole. He stole oh, wait, no, that's later on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he stole uh, Orlov's car. It's also a dumb part where Bond dresses up as a gorilla. Yeah, because he's hiding in the back of the thing. One you of the weren't lines... about that, Tony? <laughs> I was going to say one of the taglines for this should have been Bond goes apeshit <laughs> 13 times. Orlov gets shot up and dies, telling that tomorrow he's going to be considered a hero to the Soviet Union. I was just pretty bewildered that he just died that early in the thing. Because he seems like he was the main villain. Yeah, and he gets killed with uh, some random guards just shoot him up when he's trying to get on the train, as opposed to, like, Bond gets to kill him. Again, it was beautifully overacted. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Dead. Also dead. Still dead. Now fully dead. (laughs) Kind of a thing. It's no uh, Talia in Dark Knight Rise is bad, but you shouldn't die three times in the same scene. (laughs) At least he didn't go like, you know, uh, yes, but tomorrow I'll be a hero in the Soviet Union. (laughs) This kind of perks up the last second. There's some decent stuff on the train. Uh, Bond hopping along the top of it, running along the side of it. It's not stupendous, but it's solid. It's the worst green, some of the worst green screen we've seen so far. Just, just every time it closes up on Roger Moore, you just know it's going to be bad. Yeah. And, but the rest of it is like, the actual stunt work is fantastic. I, I, again, I really don't have any issue with any of the stunt work and scenes we see from These guys are doing excellent, really cool stuff. It's just then it cut, has to cut to a 55-year-old man just clinging onto the side <laughs> of a, a train that's clearly not moving anywhere and he's just getting a, a fan blown in his face to make it look like somewhat realistic. <laughs> Hence the uh, the long hair, right? Just to show yeah. you that. But I like the bits with like Gobenda and the sword when he cuts the brake line or whatever it is and Bond puts the fumes in his face, the steam, whatever. I don't know what it is. I don't know anything about trains. I just love to have to add, add the element to it that um, uh, Octopus is getting a massage. Like, yep, need to have a woman in, naked in a towel. That's great. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. Just, she can just be sitting at a desk doing work or anything like that. Nope, she has to be getting a massage at this point. Yeah, but I mean, who's gonna sit at their desk naked and do work? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be there. <laughs> and that's really what the goal we're going with here. And you know, she looks oh. great. So <laughs> you work, you work from home, Teddy. Nobody really know what you do. Oh, I could use a massage. <laughs> but uh, Mishka or Grishka is killed. Uh, I don't know which one. And then eventually we get to the point where the other one's killed. And um, 
he's like, you know, this is for my brother. And then Bond kills him. That's for 009. I like that line. Yeah. Especially because 009 was kind of cool. When he's a clown. He's clowning around. Do you think that these other 00s have at least, like, the slightest bit of the same sense of humor that Bond does? Like, they just hang around a little bit and they pick up some of the jokes and there's inside no, jokes. that's why Red wanted to murder... Uh, Red. That's why uh, M wanted M. to murder Bond. <laughs> they're all just so bland and uninteresting and they're like, oh, hello, sir. Yes, I will do my job. And Bond comes in like a fucking dickweed and he's just sort of like, oh, I know everything about everything. Also, I'm going to make this quip and I'm going to steal this egg and I'm going to just... Like, <laughs> no wonder. Well, I guess... The- I guess they share some sort of thought process because Bond decides later on in the movie that the best thing to do in this situation is dress up like a clown as well. Yeah. So Isn't Bond steals that? he steals a car, and I have no notes about anything all the way up until the point where of the military base thing. But okay, okay. Well, we need to talk about this. Um, so they he's fallen off the train, and he feels like he, he's trying to get a, a hitchhike somewhere, and these kids stop in this car. This like this little convertible car and Bond's going up there to um, try and get it and they drive away like a bunch of dicks. <laughs> the and reason was... why is uh, John Glenn, the director, said that that used to happen to him all the time when he would try to hitchhike. So he put it in there. It's just being like, oh, that happens to me. So it's going to happen to Bond. And then he eventually gets a hitchhike from this uh, German couple in a Volkswagen Beetle. It's weird, too, because they're just like, you, you want beer? <laughs> kind of a thing. And yeah, here's a sausage. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's just like, again, throw every single stereotype. We've, got, we've already covered India, let's do Germany next. Let's throw every stereotype we can out here. And, yeah, then he steals the woman's car because she won't get out of the phone booth. Which I think is fair. Yeah, I mean. I just, I just love this now situation where Bond is both trying to rush to deal with bad guys and is now also being changed, challenged by the the, uh, the good guy police. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he says that there's no time he has no time to even tell them that there's a bomb I'm trying to defuse. But apparently he has enough time him? to put on clown makeup. But would they believe him? Because I don't believe him when he gets there. No, but at least if he was like, when he goes like, damn it, man, like there's a, uh, there's no time or something. It's like, I'd be I'd at least tempted to be like, I'm British Secret Service and there's a bomb in there. And then try <laughs> to go. Because then like, he could be like, hey, there's a guy who's doing this thing and he says that he's Secret Service and that there's a bomb instead of like some fucking nut job just burst into the base. I like that matchup. <laughs> so Bond is dressed up as a clown mm-hmm. and he is trying to get to this bomb. He diffuses it at the last second. There's the whole bit where he's just like, there's a bomb in here. And everybody's like, well, you know, what are you talking about? Until Octopussy shoots it off and they're like, uh, fuck, can you, uh, <laughs> can you do this? Kind of? Yeah. And it's just a, it's a giant fight scene breaks out between the circus performers and the the police running in and stuff like that and Bond just goes through the melee and he's being dragged away but Octopussy manages to expose the bomb and he gets it just in time with one second left and the guy in the cannon pops out and goes now? so everybody just laughs and they're ah that's a good bit this is slightly better than being miserable (laughs) so I like that they kind of play it off a little bit like that that's kind of funny for a gag of like, well, you know, we had an incident, but you're all fine now. Please leave in an orderly fashion. Never going to go to the circus again after that, right? Probably never should have gone to the circus. I mean, I don't go to the circus as is, but still. Nobody is. 
you know, there's a part in this that I think is really funny too that I forgot to mention is uh, when Bond is with um, I think it's that it, it's, there's a sequence where there's one of the military guys that gets super mad that he's getting blocked. You remember what part I'm talking about? Where the guy's just like, "Sit the fuck down!" Like I want to watch the circus shit, kind of like. Oh yeah, it's the um the Russian one. Like uh, he was just. He was just sitting there and grabs Bond and forces him to sit down. I think that was in before they got on the train. Yeah, it's just it's this guy's super mad. He's like, I want to see the circus. <laughs> I've gone through a couple tours now. This is the thing that's keeping me going. <laughs> so Octopussy knows now that Kamal double crossed her, and she was planning on just blowing up. And they assault Khan's base. They got all these acrobats doing human pyramids and shit. I uh, huh. I, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan. <laughs> so, it's a good way to work it in there, but at the same time, why are we doing this whole subplot about the circus thing? Why does she have to be a part of the circus instead of something else? You know, but just anything is just the fact that like, okay, we're gonna infiltrate this highly guarded uh, palace that he's gotten set up with a bunch of scantily clad women. Essentially, I know they're acrobatic and they do all this cool stuff or whatever, but it's just a case of they're not wearing any protection whatsoever. No. Again, it's like every female superhero of the past, like, 50 <laughs> years or whatever. Just, no, I could wear this super armor-plated machine, but no, I'll settle for the gold bikini. That's fine. That's like, and, that, and that's just what they're doing. It's just... Like they do a bit of distraction job with the Magda and some of the other women dancing for the guards and then finally beating all them up. I like the fact they're all involved and they're all doing this. Like yeah. they're the ones fighting back against it. That's that's that feels empowering. That feels like it's pretty good as well. But you can't be both empowering and not sexy at the same time. You have to like it's just a case of okay, you're allowed to fight back against the guards and take total control of it if you wear this one piece while you're doing it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Now, thankfully, Octopussy doesn't really get captured right away. She eventually does. But at first, you know, she's kind of doing her thing. She's climbing up that pole. She's brandishing a gun. She's doing some sword fighting. Okay. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's doing great. I need to talk about one thing in particular about this. So there's a one sequence during the fight where some guys, where some of the women fly in on trapezes. Now, my question is... <laughs> How did they have the time to set up trapezes in the vase? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm just thinking, okay, you thought it was cool to have circus performers in because they could do little tra trapeze stunts. But what you didn't understand is trapezes don't just emerge out of thin air or fall from the sky. You have to set them up in the first place. It's like that fucking, like some of the old Spider-Man games. We're getting talking about Spider-Man. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of Spider-Man Spider in this one. <laughs> Where he's web swinging from the fucking clouds, whatever, right? And stuff like that. So, no, you need to have buildings. That's where he swings from. Yeah. <laughs> Did not uh, anticipate Spider-Man was being brought up as much as he was in this one, but it's funny. Not yeah, to be a the clown references and be a lot of uh, a lot of Joker, right? Yeah, yeah, no. But not to be upstaged with an entrance. Bond has to enter with a hot air balloon with a Union Jack. <laughs> the element of surprise that gets them. Yeah, we do get one of the musical pe uh, pieces that I like a lot. That kind of like tension action theme, and that's cool. And Q gets a hero moment. He saves Magda and some of the girls from the goons and they start fawning all over him. And he, I like that. He's like, what are you doing? Oh, cut it out. No time for that. Later, perhaps. <laughs> I'm just picturing Q being like, oh, we got to deal with 
I mean, she's kind of hot. <laughs> Bond's in uh, one of the rooms later on. Q's in another one. They step outside. Bond just nods. He's like, I heard that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bond gets some horseback action to catch up to the plane that Khan and Gobinda and Octopus are in and just climbs on the plane as one does. Again, I have a lot of credit for this fun stunt man that decides to pull this off of jumping from a horseback onto the back of an airplane that's moving. Yeah. And the one that's on top of an airplane <laughs> when they're filming that. I mean, I'm sure he's strapped up at the time wherever, so it's completely safe, but it's just a case of even still, holy fucking shit, it's I mean, you talk about unrealistic, this 55-year-old man clinging onto the back of a, yeah. a plane while it's doing somersaults and all this other stuff and going at about what seems to be a good 100-plus miles an hour. And Bond takes out one of the engines, and Khan's like, hey, Gobinda, go out there and get him. And he's like, out there? <laughs> like, Gobinda has every right to be nervous, because a few minutes later, uh, Bond snaps a little antenna on his face, and he goes flying with a great scream. Just like, ah, ah, ah. he dead. Yeah. I mean, you, you can obviously see the parachute under the guy's thing as he falls yeah. down and stuff like that. But, that's, but to be fair, I'm, I'm more happy about seeing it as if he like saying, oh, that's too exposing. Maybe we should send him out without a parachute instead. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and again, it's so, this is some of the most visual stunt people have ever looked in the Bond movie. It's like, okay, that's definitely not Bond. That's some other guy doing it instead. It's a shame that there's yeah. no elongated shot like on Her Majesty's Secret Service with the guy falling, right? Listen, he's getting older. He's he's earned a break. Remember that when we get to the next movie. Because <laughs> then you're going to go, oh, you really didn't even do anything, did you? You know, well, Khan's got there. a weak... I think Khan's got a weak death. Oh, yeah, he just crashes the plane into the side of a cliff. Like he's in full control of this plane for the most part, and he just drives it into a cliffside and it explodes. But he's just like, ah! one of the engines is dead. But he can, you know, he lands it, basically. Well, he lands. Well, he, yeah, he lands on the side of the thing, but then it's like it's still moving. I guess he feels one of the engines has gone into overdrive or something like that. I don't know. If, I, again, I don't know how planes work and stuff. Yeah, like me that, neither. So. <laughs> but I assume there's some reason why he couldn't land it at that point in time. I'm more concerned about the idea of Bond and Matt and uh, Octopussy jumping out of the plane while it's still moving. Yeah, <laughs> it works. Also, I, I, I think we overlooked something like earlier on in this fight scene, which is the Bond sliding down the banister. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, yeah. they set that up with like, the, the big staircase. Yeah, where he's just like going down the staircase. He decides to like straddle it, which is like one way of doing it, I suppose. But then he realizes, oh god, there's a little notch at the end of the banister, so I better shoot that off before my magic penis goes by. <laughs> yeah, you gotta protect it until you get to Casino Royale. Yeah, exactly. And then you just ask for more. <laughs> but, yeah, um, that's um, that's one of the like highlight reel type of moments that they always have on any kind of shots about this, you know, like a trailer for this movie or whatever. It's always that rail scene is one of them. I bet that theme song was very loud in his head that time. Yeah, that's that's the full blown the ba da ba da part of the thing, not the brown. And I like that after this explosion and all this other kind of stuff happens, we cut to Gogol and he's like, uh, "We categorically deny that this incident ever happened." Just nope, none of that happened. And he asks if Bond's going to return the star, and the fence minister's like, "That's cool, bro. We'll get back." 
because you know Gogol's Gogol's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. And M says that Bond's injuries are making it to the point where he's not fit enough to travel. So we see that he's in this swanky looking hospital bed sort of thing with his leg up and all that. And Octopus, he says, it's a shame that he's in such a weakened condition, but he's like, nah, screw that time to bone. I don't know how he's got the energy to do that, but then again, magic penis. So in a weak ending, I think the very, very weak ending of her just going, James. There's no yeah, joke or pun or anything. We just watch a boat sail away. Yeah, pretty much. It's not, it's not it's, again, it's not the best ending. Oh, yeah, I've also forgot to mention with this thing as well for the third time in this movie. Um, the the evening, it's evening when uh, Oct- when that fire battle starts in the uh, in the courtyard, in the in the palace. And then it's broad daylight when Magda's been, and Magda, uh, Octopus is being taken away by horseback. Yeah. <laughs> they really don't. They really just don't give a fuck about like this. This continuity of it doesn't matter what time of day it is. We just want to see what's happening. Yeah, it was a nice. It's a nice setting, and I guess you know, doesn't look as right at other times of day. I mean, realistically, they probably just couldn't do the airplane stuff in like the the nighttime. I know, I know, but it's just. It's such a lack of attention to detail. Just irritates me. Yeah, I'm, uh, uh that's it on the movie. That's, mm. I mean, we are going to go through the whole thing, but that's, that's the movie. <laughs> yep. One step closer to Dalton. <laughs> I, I, I officially checked out on more, except I'm going to gush over Duran Duran in the next podcast. I'm just looking forward to Christopher Walken. Uh, I'm happiest in the saddle. (laughs) Does this Bond movie have enough cowbell? (laughs) So, where does Octopussy rank for you guys when it comes to some of these elements? We're going to talk about this and kind of backtrack a little bit. Let's talk about the gadgets. We got the briefcase at the beginning with the false bottom that has the explosive in it. We've got the fake horse, the mini airplane... The wristwatch, that's the TV and the tracker, the acid pen with the microphone, the crocodile submarine, the yo-yo saw, the rope, the spike door. Remember how the last movie was like, well, we're going to purposely not have any kind of gadgets? <laughs> yep, they went back to back to the world on this one. But for the most part, I like these. Give it a thumbs up. Yeah, these the gadgets were good. That croc come submarine on. is a major thumbs down for me, but overall... Oh, come on, it's fun. Nah, I don't like it. It's not as bad as the circus, but <laughs> I give it a thumbs up overall. You give it a thumbs up too, Rob? I give it a thumbs up, yeah. On the allies, we've got quite a bit. We've got Money Penny, M, Q, Penelope Smallbone, Sir Frederick Gray, General Gogol, Jim Fanning, VJ, 009, Bianca, Smithers. A lot in this one. The other dude, uh, I can't remember his name. The other one, the section chief in India. Yep, yeah, Bond has a lot of friends in this one. I yeah, appreciate that. He kind of needs them. Only a couple of them die. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly. good. That's an improvement. Net win. Uh, two of them die. PJ and uh, 009. So that's a good track record. We don't see Penelope Smallbone anymore. So she leaves. Probably leaves from sexual harassment or something. <laughs> 
I don't think anybody working for my six ever went that route. <laughs> oh no, she was like totally into it, so she probably wouldn't. But she got uh, a small bone and then you know left. <laughs> She's like, I got a small bone to pick with you. <laughs> Overall, thumbs up. Like Bianca serves her part in the beginning of the movie. She's just there to be, you know, the hot chick that Bond's working with. Uh, for yeah. Frederick Ray is good. Yeah, I like I like M. He's not my favorite M, but I like M. Money Penny's great. Q's fucking great. PJ's cool. Fanning's fun. Yeah, I'll give him a thumbs up. Yeah, I'd say I'd say they mostly all did their part well. Big thumbs up for actually being able to see another double O too. I like double O nine. Not as a... again. I just don't feel like I saw him because he was in clown makeup. Yeah, they even show uh, the like the opening up the folder, the "For Your Eyes Only" folder. When they show that it, it's his dead body in the clown thing, so they can't even show like, "Hey, this is 009, you know, deceased." That was what he normally would look like. I don't even know what the actor would look like. I never bothered looking him up. Wonder if they give him a name in the book or anything. On the uh, the girls, we have Bianca. Mentioned before, we got Magda and we got Octopussy because screw twin, uh, twin one and twin two. Thing one and thing two, whatever. Uh, thumbs up on the girls' side of things. Yeah, I'd say they're never uh, really a thumbs down. Yeah, Bianca's just kind of there, but she she does a role and she does help Bond out, so she at least has initiative in that regard. And the other two, are, they get involved in the final fight scene. They're both. They're not the most fleshed out characters, which I think puts it down a little bit, but they're certainly not negatives. And like, I mean, they're all attractive. You know, if you're going on the pure hot scale, I've got uh, Magda currently at 13. Just underneath Kareen and above Pussy Galore. Uh, Penelope Smallbones on the end of things for both sides like she's just not a good character really but I like Octopussy I like Magda and Bianca she's just one of those kind of characters so not the biggest most important thing in the world I'm not the biggest fan of the villains overall I like General Orlov a lot because he's so over the top and ridiculous and I mean his character in theory works really well despite the fact that he's so over the top but I don't really love Kamal Khan He's fine. He's just not one of my favorites. And Gobinda, he's okay. He's just a, the tough guy. He's not super duper memorable. Mishka and Grishka, kind of fun. Uh, I kind of like the Gobinda. I think he's... I, I, I like the fact that he... He's not exactly like indestructible or anything like that, but he's just a good, ruthless killer. So I do appreciate that side of him until obviously his demise. And I think his demise is pretty good. Khan, I like the fact that he's very up himself. He's not like, again, he's not one of those villains that's going to stand toe to toe with Bond at any point in time. And he does get taken to the cleaners to him a few times in terms of like stealing the egg and beating him at backgammon and stuff. But I like the air of superiority that he holds. I think uh, all of it's too much overacting for me. He's not like one of the absolute worst, but he is 
it's it's just too it's just too much. I don't I don't get on board with it. Maybe maybe if he was like more exposed in the movie in terms of like being able to be in a real position of power because he just the fact that he dies so early on as well was a negative for me. Uh, so and the the twins again I I can't really say too much positive about them. I mean they're fine. It's fun with the knife throwing act, but I don't think it's super super great. So I'd say. I'm more leaning to down on the overall villains. Yeah, I'm thumbs in the middle. Push comes to shove, I'd say thumbs down. I kind of buried the lead with how I feel overall about this film, so thumbs down. In the uh, action and the humor, humor is a little too silly for me in a lot of moments. You think the action's a thumbs up, though? Action's good. It's better than the humor. I didn't like the humor here. Yeah, I agree. I think I think they're both a bit has hit and miss. There are certain parts of it that I like. There's certain lines that are good, as you'd always find in these type of movies. But I think too much of it leans too heavily on the bizarro comedy or going a bit too over the top, and the action scenes blend too much comedy into them. So yeah, I'd probably go on a negative for both of them. On the music side of things, we've got... I am a huge, huge fan of the score. And I like the theme, but it's one of my least favorite Bond themes. Yeah, the, the Bond theme's going to sit somewhere in the middle for me. I, I don't love it, I don't hate it, but it's just kind of there. The rest of the music, again, it usually goes through like the blind patch for me, but I can't say it's like overtly negative. Again, it's probably just... it's It's more for me, it's just there doesn't evoke any kind of real positive or negative emotion for me. And I would say the main theme is going to sit at the bottom half for me. The background music was just that. I did not pay too much attention to it. It was very much in the background. So to give people an idea of how our rankings are going for some of these things, on the music side of things right now, uh, I've ranked Octopussy uh, all-time high. As the lowest of the main themes, I only have it above. We have all the time in the world, Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and underneath the mango tree. It's underneath for your eyes only. My my list right now for music wise is Diamonds Are Forever, Goldfinger, You Only Live Twice, Nobody Does It Better, From Russia With Love, Thunderball, Moonraker, Man with Golden Gun, On Majesty's Secret Service, Live and Let Die, For Your Eyes Only, All Time High, and then the other three. Whereas uh, actually, Callum has a couple in uh, the same exact spot. He's got Diamonds Are Forever at number one and Goldfinger at number two, same as mine. Then you switch it oh, up a little two, bit. Yeah, those two are the iconic ones. You can't really not have them that high up, I don't think. And uh, for me, Goldfinger has sat at the top since the, since we watched it. Spoiler, that's changing. Uh, <laughs> Living I Die, right underneath it, because it's a great song. Diamonds Are Forever also good can't put it too far from the top i might have to put thunderball either right below diamonds or maybe even above diamonds i've been listening to thunderball recently and it's good you got it right uh underneath man with the golden gun right now yeah i might bump that up one spot or two spots because it's a really good song there's a couple that we're kind of around here like uh some higher and some lower kind of a thing. Like, uh, I mean, Rob's got Living the Thigh at number two. Callum's got it at number six, and I've got it at number ten. 
So we're kind of bouncing around there. Mm-hmm. Um, Man with the Golden Gun, I've got it around the middle. Rob's got it towards the top, and uh, Calum's got it at the very bottom. No, not the very bottom. You've got Secret Service and For Much With Love underneath it, that. It's, it, yeah, it's the lowest one with the lyrics. And then we all have... Uh, oh, no. Actually, no. You've got all-time high around the middle. So... Yeah, it's uh, it's my bottom right now. Yeah, I got, I mean, it looks like I kind of like it. Uh, these guys haven't done like allies and henchmen lists and stuff like I have. I've been adding just tons and tons of them on my own lists. I don't expect them to really go through all that. But um, on the main villains side of things, my number one is still Ernst Devereux Blofeld from From Russia with Love, and some of the other ones like Thunderball and Francisco Scaramanga and Rosa Klebb. Rob's got. Scaramanga number one, Goldfinger number two, From Rush with Loves, Blofeld at number three, and Largo at number four. And Callum's got Kananga, Scaramanga. It's a shame you don't have another thing that ends in Anga. Uh, <laughs> Largo is high up on your list. Uh, it's number four for Rob, and it's number nine or ten for me. Um, Khan is fitting around the latter half for Callum. He's in pretty much the same spot for me. Just above Dr. No. Yep, Where's he fit for you, Rob? Above Dr. No. Where are you putting uh, Orlov? Um, right under Khan. They're both just going to sit right on top of Dr. No. And Callum's got Stromberg between those two. I've got Orlov above Khan because I just think that he's more fun. Uh, <laughs> this idea of him just doing those lines. I love it too much. And... um. When we come to the girls, that's a there's way too many girls to, to break this down. We're eventually going to show you a big long list about this, so don't worry, everybody, for anybody who's like trying to keep track. And we'll eventually do a tier list, and we'll have that kind of thing. But Octopussy, it's ranking, or Octopussy, as I should have been saying this whole time. The ranking of the movie, shaken or stirred? Stirred. So fucking stirred. <laughs> it's uh, honestly... Right now, it's sitting below Dr. No. I did not like this film. I don't know what it was. Maybe it just, maybe I'm just used to it now. So it's like, all right, I'm kind of burned on more. Uh, this film didn't strike me as captivating at all. I'll go mildly shaken. Because I, I wasn't offended by it. It's not. It's definitely not much memorable. It's not. It's not one that I feel like I'm going to go back and watch too often. But I think there was on on my low expectations going into it. I think there was more to like to it than I expected going into it. And yeah, it's bizarre and it's over the top in places. It's definitely on the lower half of the list for me. But I, I, I thought it was better than For Your Eyes Only. That's kind of where I sit with it. Yeah, I've got it at that mid-range because I would much rather watch Octopussy than The Spy Who Loved Me or Dr. No or For Your Eyes Only. I think that Diamonds Are Forever is too campy and I'm just not a fan of Diamonds Are Forever. I think that that gets... Clearly, I've grown to love it. (laughs) It stayed with me. I'm good. I think that at some point you should go watch Diamonds are forever back again. Like there's a couple movies that might be good to pinpoint where like when we get done the series or something to be like, you know what? Now rewatching it in this context, because I, I think you might end up moving Diamonds are forever again. If you rewatch it again, 
and just go, yeah, you know what? I forgot about the part where Blofeld is dressed up like an old grandmother. I I didn't. It's just like it lives longer in the memory. And that that's a strong element for me. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to remember much about Octopussy, you know, or like Dr. No isn't going to live long in the memory. Diamonds stays in the memory because you've got, you know, Blofeld in a dress and uh, I speak English. It's like, it's good shit. I'm curious why that's like, oh, that's great, but Octopussy isn't, despite the fact that Octopussy has a bunch of horrible stuff like that. I think it's because at least, like, that wasn't all the Connery movies. And that's why I was originally down on it, because I was like, ah, oh, this isn't a Bond movie, what the fuck is this? No, watching these, it's like, <laughs> alright, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, so it's currently on my list, uh, my number seven out of the ranking. My original ranking, I forget exactly where it was. It's never been one of my highest ones. Octopussy is one of those that um, I could watch it, but I mean, the first half of the movie I think is much better than the second half. And let me try to see if I can find my original list. Because remember, I uh, I made a couple of lists before going back and doing this just to see if it would change. Octopussy was in my so what I did before was I made an S, A, B, C, D, E, and F tier. And it's in my E tier, my second worst tier. <laughs> Along with You Only Live Twice, uh, Vita Will Kill, For Your Eyes Only, Dr. No. It's basically just that it's, well, it's above the worst of the worst. But now that I've rewatched Spy Who Loved Me, which I hadn't seen in a little while, that was on the tier above that, and that's not the case. I'm still just not a big fan of that, so... Um. Yeah, my perception's changing a little bit, and you know when you watch things and you do things over time, your perception changes. So I'm curious where that's going to end up leading, uh, landing at the end of this. <laughs> now Rob's changed it where Doctor knows <laughs> underneath I, Octopus. I about it, and in good conscience, I can't say. <laughs> I, I'll watch this. I probably won't go back and watch Doctor now. And Callum, did you bump it uh, down? <laughs> did I? No, or did I, no, you? You kept it where it was? Yeah, I kept it where it's. I mean, in my mind now, I'm kind of going in between that and Fury's Only, which one was the most memorable. I'm going to keep it where it is for now, but it might switch over between those two. Those two, those two are basically 1A and 1B for me, and I don't know which one I'm putting first or last at the moment. <laughs> and you were saying before that you were like, man, I, it's not going to be worse than Live and Let Die. <laughs> now you got them both under Live and Let Die. <laughs> well, Live and Let Die is like, it, it's crazy and it's batshit and stuff like that, but it just feels like that's the reason why I'm going to go back and watch it. And it's got Kananga, and I love Kananga. Yeah, so I, like, I'm a big fan of Live and Let Die. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far, but it's in, it's. I mean, they're all in the bottom half. I mean, I've, I've said it from the start, I only have three that I consider quote-unquote stirred movies. The rest of them are all positives for me but they're just on different ranks of positive. Yeah, I'm going uh, tentative shake, uh, shaken on um, Octopussy. It's it's right in that range where I'm like, yeah, I can't recommend this to anybody. You can tell the truth. But know? at the same time, you know, it's Bond film. I'll watch it. I like it, you know. Uh, sure. And then it's got that uh, Simpsons quote. You know what's great about you British people? Octopussy. I must have seen that movie. Twice. (laughs) 
And now it's uh, Octopussy's going underneath for your eyes only. I can see that happening right now under Callum's. Yeah, because I've just realised all the... Um, I just realised I like some of the underwater scenes from Few Eyes Only Better, and then I just realised, oh yeah, that, that kiss scene made me uncomfortable. Like, both of them. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, and the circus fighting, it's a little bit... <laughs> yeah, it, it, it won't go any lower than that, but it's, it's that in there, I think. Just moving around all over the place. This movie's going to be one of those benchmark ones where it just becomes, well, is it better or is it worse than Octopussy, kind of? So it's better than Doctor No, because the villain had use of both of his hands. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's Octopussy. Um, any other thoughts you guys have left about this? Uh, no, but uh, honestly, it's about time we're getting to the last one with more. And I'm actually excited to see like a super 80s, 85 movie set. And, you know, I know where the movie's set. I know that it's kind of peak 1980s. And that'll be fun for me. It actually doesn't seem super duper 80s to me. This actually, the next one that we get into, it kind of has a little bit more of a Connery film uh, feel to me. I definitely like it more. Without being like serious it's like if you took connery and you added christopher walken and you made it a little goofy you know yeah i, I can't say too much more on octopusy i think i'm i'm tentatively looking forward to the next one i kind of want us to just see where it sits and see whether it is the lame duck one out of because yeah at the end of the day as i've said before i just i'm not too upset with how this roger moore journey has gone Quite enjoy- I'm quite enjoyed most of it. None, none of his movies I would consider stirred out of the ones that I've seen. Fair enough. So we do have one more left. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, then, of course, we have Ivory, one of those <laughs> afterward. And we're going to continue on with that journey and, you know, kind of follow this up. But before we do that, and before we say goodbye to you right now, we're going to toss out a couple plugs to make sure that you guys are aware of some of those things. As I mentioned before, join the Patreon and help us grow and help us uh, keep the lights on and to do more stuff in the future and make sure you're following us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Do the same thing. If you're into the pro wrestling side of things over on smart out moment and hit up that Patreon and follow everything that's happening all over there. Follow what these guys have going up on the, mostly the pro wrestling spectrum. Rob's got some stuff that's always in the pipeline. Yeah. It's always in the pipeline. I don't know what week, this drops but uh well we're recording it march 27th and i think that that means that this is going to be up april 23rd so we're we're rounding the corner to money in the bank so check out fightful select for all your money in the bank scoops who's in the match did they tape it in stanford who knows but stay tuned to fightful fightful select stay tuned to wrestlezone.com as well and yeah, just keep following me on Twitter at Dude Felice. I can almost certainly say Twitch will be up and running. Just again, follow on Twitter for all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, for me, I don't really know what's going to be happening too much in the future in terms of like major things that I can plug. I can still say that I'll probably be doing the power rankings over on smartcatmoment.com. As, so check out that as well as all the other articles that are going live on the website every day, every week, whatever. 
And you can follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. And there you'll be able to find if I'm doing something else that's super special and interesting. And I got all the other things happening underneath the mango tree. And you can follow that all at Tony Mango and just keep popping up on Fanboys and on Smart Out Moment. On Fanboys, we should be having some different movie reviews that have come out and hopefully some more coming out in the future, too. Again, we're recording this March 27th, so we have no idea when release dates are coming out and if things will already have passed or not. But hopefully by now we'll have already done Godzilla vs. Kong and probably the Mortal Kombat thing and some other things. I know that Invincible Black Widow is not happening in May anymore, so (laughs) that gets pushed back. But April, I don't know. Question marks. Probably probably a, a talk about Falcon. I don't know if that's finished by the time that's we get here. Probably but, done, yeah. You know, we're, we're getting there, guys. Yeah. Do so there's good shit on fanboys. There's other stuff. And if you want more stuff, remember Patreon. That's how you make sure that we get more stuff. Also, hit that like button, hit that share button, pass us around, leave a comment below. Thank you to Nikolai, for instance, who has uh, been following this podcast and has been chiming in with his thoughts. Make sure you do this well. Tell us your thoughts on these movies. Is it shaken? Is it stirred? What's the positives and negatives and all that other kind of stuff so we will continue on with the next one episode 0014 coming up next because this series and the james bond podcast breakdown and a review to a kill will return with a view to a kill (laughs) 